Welcome to an extreme edition of Potterfic Weekly. Extreme edition? Don't you mean extreme cheese? Apparently, I had bad cheese and wore my grumpy pants for this one. I would like to take a moment to apologize to Aspen, dead verbose literary greats of the 17th century, and once again to Julie Andrews, even though she really does suck. No, she doesn't, Chi! Hold on to your seats! For October 31st, 2007, this is episode 31 of PFW. Welcome to the place where my ranting never ends. That's for sure. Hey, Ron. The next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch, just remember that time that you stole my chocolate cauldron. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly, everyone. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Sheep. Oz. Mike. <laughs> I love that. Oz. <laughs> like, not like I'm Oz, just Oz. I just, I don't know. <laughs> that just cracked me up. Uh, we'd like to welcome Mike to the podcast. He's guest hosting this week because Meg took Benadryl. And we all know that when Meg takes Benadryl, she's really happy, and then she's somewhat non-responsive, and then she needs to go lie down for just a minute, and then we see her next Thursday. So Meg <laughs> is off tonight, so Mike was great enough to step in here, and uh, first he's been doing some editing work for us, and now he's guest hosting, so it's great to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Great to be here. Jen loves new people. Jen, if you take Jen to the mall and just let her sit on the bench for three hours, she's all excited <laughs> and she's bouncing. Mike is my new obsession. You're obsessed with Mike. <laughs> Today, good I or am bad? Absolutely. In a good way. So tomorrow you won't be obsessed with Mike anymore. I don't ask me tomorrow. <laughs> well, well, okay. I'm a, li- <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared. No, uh, I don't want to sound creepy. No. <laughs> You, well, I'm been... just really, I'm just really excited that he's here. Like, I love new people. I love so if people want to guest host. Let us know. I love new people. Yes, and we'll, you know, let you know on that. I'm just kidding. We'll let you guest host if we if we need guest <laughs> hosts. We're open oh, to everybody. Then you have to get Ryan's permission and go through the whole. There's no. You're making it sound like you're getting into the <laughs> army. Like I like need to like step on the scale and like it's. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> No, because I wouldn't be here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had to pass the multiple choice test. Yeah, you have to pass the multiple choice test. Well, th- basically, when Meg um, originally wanted mm. to be a guest host, I just told her send me an audio file so I can just see, you know, what you sound like and how, how you, I think you'd fit into the podcast. And it took her like three hours to get the, the email file to me. So I basically said, if she can get this email across, I will let her on the show because she is trying so hard. And eventually she was able to do it. So now she's a host. So it really is that easy. If you Thank God I didn't have to go through that oh yeah jen well jen, well we were talking before the podcast apparently jen was very excited to um to be a guest host on perfect weekly back <laughs> in episode three because apparently i am a celebrity and jen was so excited to meet me that she, so like, wanted, she wanted like my autograph and she was so in i think in in your first episode it was just you and me right it was it was you and me you and me that was that must have been just a thrill for you 
It was such a thrill. I can't seriously. Everyone needs to go back and listen to the beginning of episode three because I have never been as fangirlish about anything. <laughs> about ever. me though, that's the thing. Like I, I know my entire experience <laughs> in the fandom up until that point, it was producing two podcasts with very high, you know, background noise content. Like that was basically my only submission to the fandom. And Jen's like, "Oh my god, I want to touch him." I know. I was like bouncing up and down and like seriously could not contain my excitement when he called. And I was just like, hi. And I was doing like that breathy, excited, like, hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that my first episode, I was probably a little too medicated to be excited. Episode 10. She was completely <laughs> high on, was it Vicodin at the time? Um, hydrocodine, because I was um, having a, my, um, what I thought originally was my um, semi-annual um, upper respiratory infection was actually mononucleosis. So, yeah, I was um, on some right. You had mono. I'd forgotten. Man, we have been through some serious, like, Can I just tell you this? We we have only known each other for (laughs) 10 months. Really? Has it been that long? Yeah, yeah, you've only been on this podcast, Jen, since February. No, January. No, the the podcast started in February. She, I think you came on in, like, March or early April. But we've only been doing this together for, like, a few months. And now all of a sudden, you know, you know, she's talking about how Parver One came off, and I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. That's completely normal to me. And Jen's like, and I got arrested by the Coast Guard. I'm like, oh, well, you know, that was bound to happen at some point. And, you know, nothing really faces me anymore. I just, I, I, I can't even like. I will just have to like when I think back to oh, year 2007, oh, oh. putting a star next to it. Oh, what? It says date registered January 30 <laughs> at three. 24 p.m. If anyone wants to see how fangirlish Jen was, <laughs> go on to Potterfic Weekly Forums. No, register for no, accounts, Ryan, I will go to Jen's. <laughs> go to Jen, like find Jen's no. profile. Click Mike, on I'm last so- posts and go all the way to the beginning, and you will notice the steady <laughs> decline in respect Jen has had for me over the months. <laughs> In the beginning, it was, allow me to construct a small monument of you in my driveway. And now it's like, can you please stop calling me? I'm very busy. No, Ryan, have you gone back? Okay, I'm going to my first, um, like, the first few emails. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, the first, like, I don't know, 35 emails are him and I, like, apologizing to each other. Just in case we didn't, we misinterpreted, like, a way that we... Wrote a sentence. Well, you're so worried because we always said, "No, this is the third email beginning." And Ryan says, "Oh, you absolutely didn't offend at all. I thought we offended you. Always throw your two cents in. It's why there's a forum." (laughs) Wow. Well, no. Let me explain the background to that though. When I started this podcast with Rinna, and there was another host at the time, Kim, who lasted about a week, and we all together started the forum, and we said, "We hope we get one or two really, you know." devoted listeners and after that we really don't care just, we just want to have an audience like you know of some size and, that, and that's it so when Jen came around I'm like oh my god she's here and we like to not want her to leave so we're like can we get you some lemonade like, no. so that was that. you guys I'm gonna copy and paste this this little short sentence of an email that Ryan sent me this is like from the very, very beginning and I just want everyone to laugh at the irony of the context this is what the, my original message apparently said to Jen, and, and this is, I think, what's responsible for everything that we have today. 
I'm off for the <laughs> night. This yeah. was fun. I hope you take part in the podcast as much, although I can always steer it towards Snape Fix if you don't. If you have any good ideas, just add your own. Talk to you soon, Ryan. So that's basically where this fic came from. We decided, you know, we needed to keep Jen happy, so we fit in, you know, the Snape Harry fic. I'm really curious now to go back and look at my first interaction. I know, and this was sent on January 31st of this year. Okay, you know what? Before we we can all do this later, but one thing I do want to say to our listeners right now is that um, we have um, scheduled out the rest of our Perfect Weekly season. We're going to be releasing uh, three special editions. Uh, I'm sorry, four special editions this season. We're going to finish a year like none other. We're going to do an interview with Aspen, and we are going to cover the Shoebox Project, and we're going to end this season uh, in late January, early February. And then we have some plans already, and we're starting to pick stories for next season and so forth now. Uh, what we're going to do for the last episode of the season, we're going to do a special edition episode, and it's going to be basically Potherfic Weekly, a year in review. And we're going to do, you know, clips from past episodes, and we're going to, you know, have guest hosts on, and we're going to just basically celebrate the madness that was Puffoy Year One. So if there are any episodes that were your favorites, if there were any moments that were your favorites, if there's anything you want to make sure we don't miss, we'll put a special thread up on the PFW forum. Let us know what you want to hear in that episode, because that episode will be as much fun for us to put together as it will be for you to listen. But we also want it to be like a, an episode that you can take part in, because if you've been very active on our forums or if you've you know really liked the podcast or if, like the you know the three of us here and you know mike's joining that if you've been someone who's been really involved in this project it means a lot to you if that's something that you want to take part in just let us know because i think that'd be really fun don't you mean the four of us <laughs> yeah three of you and that other guy no well what i meant was we've been doing no, this no. since the beginning what? and meg well meg isn't here right now though meg oh took, meg, okay, took meg took benadryl and meg fell down this is all confusing. I can't. This is You're getting confused by the number three. But also, I would like to add to Ryan's comment that if you have comments on any of the past episodes that we have done, um, whether it be laughing at us or insulting Jen. us or complimenting us, feel free to send an email or voicemail. That's what I meant. Voicemail of what you liked, why, and or what you didn't like and why, and or if you just want to like make fun of us, that's okay. We are accepting of everybody. We actually recommend that very much. If you want to make yes, fun of us, do. and you think you can do a good job of it, not like you know your podcast sucks, in which case we're going to accidentally lose your voicemail. But if you really have, you know, if you would like to make fun of us and you think it's possible, please send us in a voicemail. That'd be great. Yes, please sandwich your criticism. All right, sandwich right there was Jen making a smut reference, and I apologize to our. I was not. Yes, you were. <laughs> Yes, you I were, was and you know it. Thinking of turkey. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Turkey. Oh, for smut giving. <laughs> no, no, like a turkey, like a turkey sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> oh, like a turkey sandwich. Okay. And she I just gave away the secret. Around Thanksgiving time, keep your children away from this podcast. That's all I can say. Oh, yes. is that supposed to be a secret? Is that supposed to be a super secret? No. It's really no, 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 well, it wasn't a secret. We've told people It's already, a super but. secret podcast for adults only. <laughs> That's kind of scary. It makes me want to leave the room. <laughs> I'm not an adult yet. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to A Year Like None Other, you know, maybe in the first hour of the show. How about that? A Year Like None Other. I feel like it needs a song. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving it theme music in episode 10. <laughs> Seriously, we need a, a Year Like None Other theme, like a theme song. 
I'm picturing like the theme song to Blossom for some reason. How about the theme song for Whoa. the <laughs> Instead of the Jetsons, the Snapes. The Snape. No, it's because it has to have two syllables. It doesn't make sense. Oh, can I tell you, I got kind of yelled at by Aspen. Like, not yelled at. She was joking with me. But I mentioned to her, I was giving her some um, some tidbits about episode uh, 30, which just was released, um, hopefully, before you've heard this one. And I mentioned to her, you know, how in the episode that was yet to be aired, we mentioned that Harry was the worst house guest ever. And she yells at me <laughs> and is like, he's not a house guest. It's his home. And I'm like, oh, apparently I missed the primary meaning of the thing. I apologize. <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. I don't know. Oh. Did Snape say exactly that, actually? We said in the last podcast that, he, that Harry was the worst house guest ever. He blows it's stuff this one. up. Goes, yeah, like he like breaks walls. Oh, and this one he puts in like his home, like like he puts in like a home entertainment center. I love this. One. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it like that. Yeah, he's like Severus. While you were gone, I took out the starboard wall, and it's this giant high definition. Look at this; we can see the grounds from here. Look, there's Draco's boot. It's 1080p and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Snape turning it back, and Harry's like gulp. <laughs> Gulp. I love that. <laughs> do I know how to do that? I don't think I do. <laughs> what do we want to talk about in these chapters besides the fact that Jen thinks that Dumbledore is Satan? Mike, why don't you start us off tonight? Okay, well, I had a theory, and maybe it's kind of outlandish. I won't, none of you will agree with me, but I'll share it. Hold on. I just have to tell you something. My theory on what happened in the Owlry was that Draco turned Pansy into a small garden gnome and threw her out the window. So I will accept whatever you have. Please continue. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm thinking when Harry, they had the line, Harry gets cursed by Draco, and he throws himself out of it, and Snape says he ages himself uh, two or three days. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking he did this before also back on uh, Sawain, right? Mm-hmm. So all told, he's aged himself a week. And doesn't that mean his birthday changes and he's no longer, in terms of the prophecy, born? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, his birthday changes. So now his birthday's not the third, whatever, as the seventh month dies, it's now as the seven month starts. But that wouldn't the- change his birthday, it makes him older than he otherwise would be. So if Harry had an identical twin, he'd now be a week older than the twin. Oh, never mind. You just shot my Yeah, like, maybe his birthday, maybe it... I think that's a good... I like... I really like that, though. Like, that's a really interesting point. I think... I can't help but think, though, that it would just change the, uh... I don't know. Like, does the actual birthday change then? Or do, I mean, do they keep celebrating on the same day, but... No, it wouldn't be the birthday. Like, say, for example, say the spell aged Harry, like, a year. And say, like, you know, he needed to, you know, break out of, like, a very powerful curse. And he aged himself 50 years. Harry would be 66 years old, you know, in his sixth year. Like, he he himself would age dramatically. But he was still born in the same day. It doesn't mean he was born in the 1940s. Well, he wouldn't age dramatically, like, in a week. I guess if he did it, like, a year or two. But it's kind of like my grandmother's social security. Like, she looked on her birth, like, her birth certificate apparently had, like, a month earlier that she was born than she actually thought her birthday was. And so they gave her, her they started her social security checks a month earlier. Mm-hmm. But it really, like, she's not a month Younger. No, but what I'm saying is, okay, say, okay, the story takes place when? The story takes place in 1997, if we're to assume that Harry's 16. So that was, not, I was a, 
freshman in high school. Okay, yes. keep going. And, and Harry's in his sixth year, and he got his eyes poked out by a crazy man. Okay. <laughs> so Harry, so it's 1997, and Harry's 16 years old. Let's say that the, for whatever reason, say the spell, instead of aging him two days, aged him 20 years. So now Harry is 36 years old as a result of the spell aging him 20 years. But it's still 1997. He was still born in 1981. It doesn't mean that he was born in 1961. Yeah, that's okay, true. So, yeah, it just compresses the time in there, too. So that's that's really depressing that he could do that. Like, he could make himself be an old man. I wonder if he could do it backwards, though. Could he also be be younger when he's older? Like, or... But time would still be where it is. Like, he can't change time, but he could change his age in time. Right. Do you know what I mean? Could he do it backwards? Well, then that's the thing, because, like, for example... Um, We're getting into time travel now. We are getting into time travel. <laughs> well, no, this is, well, this is the confusing thing. So, Harry, like, say Harry did do that. Say Harry aged himself 20 years, and then he died. It, his grave would say Harry Potter, you know, 1981 to 1997, but he would have been 36 years old when he died, which it doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't... That would be sad if he was 36. That's young. Well, Yeah, that is young. <laughs> What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. We always miss big plot points because we all, and now we're talking about, like, if Harry were 36, that's too young. He's still, he should live longer. We should just call this Quantum Physics Grammar Potter Weekly Cast. <laughs> we always... I did, I'm laughing because I didn't get that at all. <laughs> Oh, good God. physics has to do with this kind of stuff, with dimensions and... and um, yeah, I didn't take quantum physics 101. <laughs> we have now officially brought Puffwa to quantum <laughs> physics. We're the dimwits that cannot follow, like, A to B without getting lost. And we're, we're going to move into quantum physics because we feel we can contribute to this value. Yeah, we need to insult... What's a bagel? No, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, one thing I want to say here is you cannot prove to me, based on any information provided in these chapters, that Draco did not turn Pansy into a garden gnome. <laughs> well, Ryan, I have a question for you, actually. Well, you actually really, you really can. Yeah, what's your question? Were you taken in at all when you were reading this? Like, did you think Draco was the killer at any point? Yes. I did. No, definitely. well, no, here's the thing. I, I didn't know if he was a killer, but I did think that he pushed Pansy off of the Owlry. No, I totally thought that he was bad. Like, I thought, oh my gosh, this whole thing has been a ruse, and he is bad. <laughs> and I was like, and, and that was like at the back of my head, like terrified that I had been so wrong all this time. That's the thing Especially- I love about Jen's faith in the characters, though. She's like, I love Severus. He would never do this. I believe in him. And then someone's like, well, I hear he's a bad guy. Oh, my God. My faith was entirely misplaced. <laughs> mm-hmm. The story is pretty well at face value. So I wasn't really ever concerned. <laughs> I'm just Maybe it's just because I'm feeling, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too blasé. But I, I don't know. I wasn't ever like, oh, my gosh. What's going to happen? But it's a suspenser. It's a suspenseful chapter. You're supposed to be like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Oh, well, I missed it then. (laughs) 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 Sorry. (laughs) I've decided that I read too much fan fiction (laughs) because nothing excites me anymore. (laughs) Uh, 
We were talking the other day about what we all bring to Polarfic Weekly, and Jen brings the, oh my god, what happened to her card this week, you know, suspense thriller, and, you know, Meg brings the, if, if she's not careful, she's going to have Jen's life in five years, and all of a sudden raccoons are going to be attacking no, her I in the middle tell, of the I keep mall. telling Ryan, quit, don't curse or tease her with that. It's terrible. <laughs> and I'm more of the, can someone please just... Listen to me for a minute, guy. And then we have Chi, and Chi is the fanfiction equivalent of an 87-year-old woman who has been smoking every day of her adult life. Who's <laughs> like, listen, kiddo, like, this like is exactly Lola. how this crap works. I know you think it's wonderful, but Chi, really you're Lola the prostitute. Chi <laughs> actually is an elderly, non-sexual prostitute. We've been trying to break it to you gently, but this is, I think, uh. we just say it now. Goodness gracious! She I is guess... the village elder who really just doesn't care. <laughs> I guess you, uh, I guess you found me out, and I need to email Eli before he <laughs> to the podcast. Honey, <laughs> remember Honey. how you said you'd accept me no matter what I do? <laughs> you know what I like most, and something that stood out in these chapters was when I was reading it that she will just hint in a word somewhere that is a word that you don't hear very often, and yet. Because you grew up with parents somewhat using that word very occasionally, like randomly, like you feel proud of yourself that you know what that word is and what it means that you don't have to stumble over it. And I feel like when <laughs> I'm when I'm reading, like there are several parts where like I feel like she encourages my reading because I feel like I'm patting myself on the back because I know what some of the words are. I think there was one in chapter um, 67 that really just took my attention, and I don't remember where it is, but I remember the word. It was cusp, C-U-S-P. And it was a word that, you know, it's not a very popular word. Like, people our age don't really use the word cusp. Was it, like, on the cusp of happening? Like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like something like that. I don't I can't find it, but... Um, you know, I, and I, I use that word all the time. I actually use that word all really? the time myself, yeah. <laughs> I have never, like, I don't hear, like, there are certain words that I only hear when I read in books or fan fiction. And this is one of those stories that when I, like I read and I feel in, more intellectual because I read and I understood <laughs> what the word is, even though I don't hear it on a daily basis. Jen, I just have really? a you use that word? Because now I feel, like, yeah. I feel like the helmet kid. Then <laughs> you can just say that Aspen writes in an antiquated vernacular and then you oh. will you right good, honey. You're right good. <laughs> you can feel uh, you can feel proud of yourself. If I was a beta reader for this, some of the words I think that she uses are technically correct. You can use them that way if you pull up dictionary.com and double check yourself. But most people normally wouldn't. Most people but don't. You don't think use... that makes this more outstanding than most because you um, have to. It encourages intellectual reading versus well, your fan here's fiction the thing, writer of 15. Here's the thing. Do you know what I mean? That, I, I understand what your point is, but you should never, ever, ever, if you're reading something, stop. have to stop and think to yourself, you know, I'm a very smart person for knowing that word. If you're having <laughs> to stop and think to yourself, I'm a very smart person for knowing that word, you're thrown out of the thick 
and it, it's it's not good. Well, I think as a writer, well, I would never ever want somebody to go. You use such interesting words. I always have to stop and think about what interesting words you're using. Like, there's a way to use really cool words in a way that doesn't seem like they're highlighted. Like, look at how intelligent I am. Like, not that Aspen's doing that. Well, it's just that I find her writing style a bit pompous at times. Let me just well, ask wonder... her point of order, though. Are we talking about, for example, like in the earlier chapter when Snape was writing the letter to Hermione and, you know, he was attempting to make it as, as you know, elite as possible and put in as many... You know, you know. Well, that's one thing. No, but how do we know question. he doesn't are, always write like that? No, I mean, he's very intellectual is, too. Are we saying that you know Snape speaks, you know, with using big words, or are we saying in a descriptive paragraph of the story, Aspen, as the narrator of the story, uses words that we have to go and then look up? Is that what we're talking about, or are we talking about Snape who throws a big word out there and that's just in his character? Well, both, I think. But okay. I don't. I never saw it as. Her being pompous writer or it throwing me out of the story because I'm proud of myself because I know a word. This is what I like about reading poetry or any, you know, Jane Austen or, you know, any story where there there's words in it that are beautiful words, but you just don't hear them very often, don't use them. And I don't see how writing this story and using words like that is any different than any of the classics that use these same words. Well, I, I, I just pompous and irritating too so that's <laughs> just me she's uh, <laughs> like it's possible i'm just in a bad mood i mean <laughs> i could have had bad cheese <laughs> i did i did dine with she earlier today and said she cheddar so. yeah um, when it comes to no. snape though i wonder it's just a characterization tool she uses like he uses these big words we have to think about because that adds to his character. Oh, he is. Ch- Snape well, in this entire fic is wearing... Snape is in, the, in this entire fic, I, I swear to God, is wearing a smoking jacket with a pipe. He's... Lord he's and a white right? billowing shirt. Okay, Jen, 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 dump some water in your face. Well, you're getting a little heated over there. Dump some water in your face. So calm down. And like the, the tall boots that are genuine, pure blood leather. Jen, do, yeah, you, need, of, Jen, do uh, you need a moment? <laughs> I need several. I really do uh, do appreciate the way that she writes Snape. I think that he comes across, if you ever had a very, like a distinguished professor, somebody that has that air of not necessarily... He's like an expensive wine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to smell it and like put your face in it. Oh. The Jen's husband is away for the evening. In case <laughs> oh, are well, dirty. Jen, you just said you wanted to stick your face into Snape. <laughs> oh, no, I said in the glass. Like, you sniff wine, like, in sideways. Not like, not like horizontal, like in the movie, sideways. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting hey, y'all movie. y'all accused me of being dirty. Wow, y'all took it to a whole new level. <laughs> I just got this. I'm sorry. I got a series of very disturbing I'm images. I'm sorry, Aspen. Sorry. <laughs> I really am. I'm afraid to go out in public with Jen. Now is a really good time to bring that up. I'm afraid to have to <laughs> go grab her because she ran after the ice cream salesman again. <laughs> the shi- <laughs> cars are shiny. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Katie, like, I know that person. Guys, don't oh, scare me. Oh, I'm going to be in Chicago lady. with Jen in less than a year. You they guys, I, I do wrong. function. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, Jen, I'm Maybe sorry. Maybe this is where I unwind and I can be goofy and childlike. But really, I'm like a Texan businesswoman. <laughs> All corporate and everything. Well, I don't know. Are you corporate if you only have the one? I guess not, but... <laughs> No, whatever. I wear business a, outfit with a shiny like suit. Back to Aspen. I really do like the way that the way that Snape talks. I just sometimes I think that maybe her word choice. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes I feel like she doesn't always pick the best word for the situation, and I'm kind of picky about that. Do you have an example? Yeah, she uses she uses scathed. As a, okay, brief English lesson. Some people are going to, like, roll back in their seats, and Julia, our English major on the forums, is going to be clapping her hands for me. Um, she, okay, you can be scathing to somebody. You can um, scathe someone, but I have never, ever, ever seen somebody use, and this throws me out of the story every time. She'll say something like, Draco Snape scathed. Huh? Because scathe literally means to cut or to burn. Yeah, I already looked up Jen. I'm just being <laughs> helpful. You can, you can use it this way. I mean, you can use it the way that she uses it, but in the modern vernacular, we would never ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. But so that just kind of drives me crazy. Is- I wonder, is she English? Does that, would that affect anything, the fact that, isn't she, like, living? Maybe I'm wrong, but isn't she living no. in England? No, she's in the U.S. She's American. Oh, never mind. She's an American, yeah. I don't think that would affect anything, really, to be quite honest with you. We do speak a slightly different language than the English do, but most of our words, the way that we form sentences and the way that we use tenses is pretty, pretty well the same, I would say. Maybe Zafina could... To disagree with me or, or not? Are laughing at us? Now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I yeah, think I mean, there's a great deal of people same, laughing at us right now. We all have the same tenses, though. We all use present, past, and future. We all use past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect. We all use the same tenses. So, what my point is still valid across the board that you would not normally use scathed as a past form past tense form of this verb it's really it's just kind but of it's, it's not incorrect i mean it's, it's not incorrect it's, it's just maybe out of date a little bit but so are the purebloods i mean the whole our whole building up of their culture and and you know is very 18th century and to me they would use scathed as part of that language like maybe to me it fit it, it doesn't take me out of the story because it's it's words like that that make it more realistic that they have that that old mentality that old traditional well, the whatever the keep, word the is. The thing to keep in mind though is we're talking about you know verbs used in descriptive you know areas of the story from Aspen the narrator and let's not confuse that with you know words that Snape himself says like one like she mentioned this before the podcast tonight one of my favorite lines is when. Snape and Harry arrive at Grimmauld Place for the first time in these chapters. I think it's in chapter 71. And, uh, Chi, do you remember the line? It's when, when Snape comes billowing out of the fireplace. Oh, you really want me to do it? <laughs> oh, I think, I think you need to read it, it in your Sean Connery accent. Come I'll on, Lady Chi. Swords for 500. <laughs> That's S words. Watch <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'll take the rapist. 
No, okay, sorry. <laughs> That's therapist. No. Now can you say it again for regular oh, people to hear? <laughs> Headmaster. Snape greeted the older man <laughs> at number twelve crippled place. Everyone in nerves are important. <laughs> I love that line, though. Like, you have the news of import. <laughs> like, huh? Like, I had to read it once. I'm like, oh, he's really smart. Okay. Because like, I just I say, yo, that. what up? Like, like I'm just completely different. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know what, Ryan, so now that I've that. really embarrassed myself. <laughs> So, Chi, uh, how much did this bother you? I just have to ask you, because you're, because you really, you've read hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of fanfics. That really was bugging you, wasn't it? It was bugging me. I don't know why. It's a word she uses. You know what it is? It's a word that she uses over and over and over again. And it's like one of those things where <laughs> there's 96 <laughs> chapters to this. It's that doesn't really bother me. The first chapter really grates on my nerves by chapter 40. And by the time we get to chapter 70, I want to claw my eyes out. I'm picturing you twitching on the subway. <laughs> my, my beta reader. I, really I was telling her about this. I was telling her about this kind of anomaly in, um, in Aspen's story of this one word that she uses in a way that I would never use in my entire... It just bothers the crap out of me. And I was telling my beta reader about this. She goes, Honey, I think that you need to go get a Coke and take a break. <laughs> uh-huh. That's the thing here. We're like, I, I love how we're like, you know, we're, we're chapters... Like, what are we on? We're 74 chapters in, so we're, you know, more than three quarters of the way through the story. And this is the Snape adopts Harry Fick. It's very against the canon. You know, all of the different, you know, structural issues that we could have with it, or, you know, the, the poor characterization that we might find, or, you know, just the particular reasons why, you know, you know, a, a, a pairing that Joe Rowling never meant for in the, in the, you know, five books that she had, huge books that she had written to this point, why, you know, that just can't work in this figure. All the problems we could have, and what we basically have is Lady Chi saying, she's using this one word, kind of not right, I guess it's fine, but it really bugs me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that I'm kind of neurotic that way, though. Like, my, my beta ease will tell you there are certain things that just bother me, and I can't explain to you why. They just do. Okay, well, so... Why don't we yeah. leave that one there? Just leave it there. And leave ask, it there. sure, I'll get an email from Aspen. Gee, it really is correct. And I'll go, I know it's correct, <laughs> but it still bothers me. <laughs> She's the person that comes up and, like, knocks on your front door, and you answer your door, and you're like, yes. And you're like, hi, you don't know me. I just really hate the color of your house. And you're like, oh. <laughs> I'm not going to repaint it. And, you're, and she's like, I know. I just had to tell you. And she get, like, gets back in her car and drives away. <laughs> no, I'm not that neurotic yet. One thing I liked is I always feel bad that uh, Wormtail is treated like this total idiot in, all, in most of the fics I've ever read. When I, I'm convinced he's smarter than people give him credit for. Because I think back to, like, what's the one thing we know he did? He does that curse where he kills, uh, what is it, 10 innocent muggles. Yes. And, boy, he doesn't really kill a wizard, but he kills 12 people with one curse. And when everyone thinks it's serious, it's always like, 
oh my god, look at this super piece of magic he did. He's so scary. And they find out it's Wormtail, and it's kind of like everyone laughs at it. Yeah. And so the reason I bring that up is because since we all assume Draco's innocent, that means the map had to, the Marauder's map had to be tricked. And I think the person who had to trick it, who really understood it, is Peter, even though like Lupin dismisses it. Everyone dismisses him, but he had to be the one who understood it and who kind of cracked the map all on his own. Maybe. This is something that we fight a lot in the um, Marauders era of writing, um, is because most of us hate Peter Pettigrew with a passion that's sort of bordering on neurotic. <laughs> so, the, the, you know... She has he, a singular word tonight that will base all of her neurotic. complaints around him. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's going to be the title of the episode, is she is neurotic and she can't stop herself. Which is the definition of neurotic. Anyway, <laughs> I was just saying Superfluous that... Superfluous, um, even. All right, carry on. And so he kind of gets regulated to the character that just kind of sits in the background and smiles and nods and everybody kind of feels sorry for. But here's what we have to remember, right? Is there are about, uh, I would say, five or six really powerful witches and wizards going to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry during the Marauders era, right? Um, Sirius Black is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Um, he shows that in Order of the Phoenix. We can assume that James Potter, since he was the quote-unquote leader of the group, is probably a pretty decent wizard, and he achieved an animagus at the age of 15, which is almost impossible. Um, Ramus Lupin, who ha- shows considerable talent for defense against the dark arts in Prisoner of Azkaban, and um, Severus Snape, who turns out to be a very formidable potions master, and then Lily Evans, who you know, makes the ultimate sacrifice and whose magic is strong enough to protect Harry for the majority of his life up into Deathly Hallows and and Goblet of Fire. So... And then there's Maud. And then there's... um, Yeah, and then Malfoy. I mean, so a lot of really powerful witches and wizards are going to school at the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry at this time period. So... If you're dumb, you don't hang around with smart people very much. You know? So I would think that that's... Peter has got, there's got to be some reason that Peter was hanging out with the Marauders. He had Reminds to have Screech almost. Yeah, he has to have redeeming characteristics. Like, Screech was really, really annoying, but Screech had a great heart, you know? So I think that that probably, there has to be something to Peter that makes him on the same level as the rest of the Marauders. Do you well, know what I'm the saying? Thing, let me ask you this, because Aspen really um, hung tight with the canon up until this point, up until the Order of the Phoenix was up at this point. Half-Blood Prince obviously wasn't. Um, was there anything in the canon up to five, or I'm not even sure if there was anything in the canon period up until this point, that tells us the type of person that Peter was during the school days? We knew that, or during we the school years. We don't have much. Like we don't have much of anything on the Marauders, to be you quite honest. You have Snape's memory. Snape's you have Snape's memory, and that's it. And, and, and in the canon, that was in, in the canon that was factual, correct? That was Snape's memory right. that wasn't altered. That, that that's a fanfic thing that they make up that you know that the, the memory is abstract. Because right. my question is, for all we know, based on all the canon we had available to us up until this point. Peter Pettigrew was a great guy. He was Neville. He was the loyal friend. Nothing right. to miss with Peter. And then after graduation, after he got out into the real world, he felt the pressures of the war, the pressures of Voldemort. There was outreach. He was targeted. And that is when he 
switched allegiances. And it's very possible that he didn't want to do it. He was trying to get out, and he's kind of like a kid stuck in a gang. And eventually, it overpowered him, and eventually, he changed. Because obviously, we see him in God of the Fire, and he's not, you know, a cowering little kid. He literally brings Voldemort back all on his own. So, right. But for all we know, in the years that this map was created, he was one of the team. And if you think about it, because she just said something interesting, the Marauders all were in the Magi, except for Lily. Lily wasn't. But, okay, if this is something where it's amazing for a 15-year-old to be able to do this, and now all of a sudden you have three friends, three roommates, essentially, <laughs> all able to do it, does that mean that... It's pre- they just happen to be three brilliant wizards. Does that mean that you know friendship and the need to do something to help a friend? You know, kind of like the Patronus is powered by love. That you know the anime guy skills came out because of character, because of friendship and loyalty, or anything like that. Like I don't know, but it's interesting as we read this because I I have read literally up to the end of seventy four. I don't know if Peter would have done anything to the map when he was in school. He may just basically have been instrumental in constructing it. But I like what Aspen does and says, well, you know, there was that year that Moody had the map all to himself. And Dumbledore even says that later. Dumbledore even says, oh, the map, yeah, he had that by himself for an entire year, didn't he? And, like, that, like that's where people's minds go to. I've never thought that there could be anything wrong with the map. It was never a canon point. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of people had access to this map. And just like Joe does, Joe does the whole thing with, you know, you've had this invisibility cloak for seven books. You never thought that maybe it's not normal. We just assume, oh, yeah, James must have got the map taken away from him. It was in a file cabinet for 20 years. And then, uh, the, you know, the, the Weasley twins got it. But maybe there was another story. Maybe the map, you know, went to someone else in the interim. We just don't know. But I like the fact that Aspen uses uh, canon to reinforce that. I just that that was just one thing that jumped out at me is that there's you, there can be a lot of things hidden in plain sight, which is what I think Aspen's really good at doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree. She kind of has a very this story almost could be like another fandom purloined letter type of story. I guess. What do you mean? <clears> maybe that? I should. Ex- okay, um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote this really great short story. It's called The Purloined Letter, and it's actually the story that sparked um, Detective stories. Um, he inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to write the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Um, but it's this really great, fabulous short story. If you haven't read it, if you aren't into Poe um, because he freaks you out, you should go read the Pearl Letter because there's not much freakiness in it. Um, he, It's a story of this detective who's supposed to find this letter um, that has to do with an affair and there's a lot of like really gritty, like, early good angst from the early um, 19th century in there. And the letter is hidden in plain sight. So um, he goes to the blackmailer's house, and he's looking all over to find it, but it's hidden, like, right on the desk, right where somebody can see it, you know? So if you say that hasn't, you know, oh, it's a purloined letter, it means that it's, The best know, way to get lost is in a crowd, that kind of... Right, that kind of hidden in plain sight is basically hidden in plain sight. Which is yeah, what I feel like. Interesting. Well, it's weird because when I when I read this story, I look for everything. Like I read everything as though I'm, there's supposed to be a hidden meaning there. So I'm a person that I overthink everything anyway. But in a lot of times in her writing, it is like that. And, like, there's plots within plots, like Drago says. But at the same time, usually those plots in, uh, upon plots are right there the whole time and you go oh my gosh oh yeah 
And I think it's good writing in that it allows us to figure it out and almost have like a head desk moment. But at the same time, there's no way we could have known unless you're like brilliant. (laughs) It's one of those stories that you go back and you, it's one of those novels like, um, or like the movie, the six sets, like when you read it, when you, I mean, watch it the first time at the end of it, you're like, Oh, whoa. I that oh, it makes so much sense now. Um, and then you go back and you watch. We're the like movie the Illusionist. Oh, yeah, the Illusionist. That's a great movie. That's a Pristine. great movie. Or like that Star Trek episode I talked about two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, no, the Illusionist is a really good metaphor for this story because all of the signs are there, and like you're thinking one thing, and it ends up being something else. And like you know, like at the end where what is his name, <laughs> Giovanni, the guy where he yeah. figures it all out, and he's got this look of like you like watch his face, and like you watch him figure it out. Like if that is my face as I read the story, and it's like oh, 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 and like you know, it's, like, it's really interesting. Seriously, if you go back and you read the story once all the way through, you feel like you have to go back and read it again so you can pick up on all the little things that you missed the first time around because you felt like you were, because you feel like you're dunce at the end of it. And as someone who's read this hundreds of times, I still miss, I still pick up things that I'm like, oh, neat. Well, (laughs) it's like the show I'm getting Meg to watch, Babylon 5. When you watch it once, (laughs) see how I did that there? Shots all around. Shots Shots all around. Mike, you're new here. Help yourself to a shot. (laughs) You know, if you're over the age of 21, which you are. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, you watch the show and it's written, you know, the, the, the writer of this TV series knew how it would end when he wrote episode one. So he put so many layers and so many clues in that when you go back and you see it, it hits you in the head that there are things that you should have seen before. And it's like I said in an early episode, you know, Snape was an ass to Harry in the scene in, in, in the potions classroom with Harry in the leather and Harry saying, oh, I haven't even read the thing yet. And Snape goes house on him. And then we realize as we read it again... <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was funny that you said that. That I said going house on him? She goes, I mean, uh, she. Sorry, she. That he goes house on Hold on. Wait, whoa, 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 Instead wait. Instead of she, I went she. Wait, okay, good. I thought you Thanks. called, you got me and she confused, because that's a whole different. No, I was oh, saying okay. he and she came out, and sorry. it sound They sound alike. <laughs> I love how she doesn't quite believe it. They sound alike. Yeah. I picked up the space show you told me about, by the way, Ryan. Which one? The um, they're on the ship and they're kind of going through the space, and then there's like rebels and um, non-rebels. Oh God! I just have to explain to everyone: Mike hasn't ever watched a sci-fi series, and I recommended one to him. I'm sorry, Mike. That sounds like all of them. Can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I was- does the following sound familiar? No, maybe. No, no it's a new one. They, it's a, they start to sound like a burn the land something. Oh, something. Firefly, Firefly, good show. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Wait, burn the you land. You knew that was Firefly from that? Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me. That's it. it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know that Joss Whedon wrote that theme song? I, I, FYI. Oh, okay. We got to get back on track now. Oh, but- sorry. <laughs> I don't care. We're off topic. We're never going to stop. She did 20 minutes on the use of the word scathed. See how I remembered everything she said? Right. Do you know what I like about Chapter 68? Jen, I've been meaning to ask you that for quite some time. What do you like I about Chapter know, 68? I know. I've just been holding on to it. <laughs> what I like about 68 is that 
we really get to watch Harry's thought process. Like, I know that we get everything is from Harry's point of view and, and everything we're learning is from Harry. But in chapter 68, we really get to, like, see him arguing with himself. Like, he's thinking, like, does Draco even feel remorse for what he's done? And, like, he's telling himself, like, he's convincing himself that that he's good. You have to trust him. He's your brother. And like, at the same time, he's like thinking in the back of his mind, what if all this is a ruse? I love that word. Well, why don't we get into Draco here? Cause there's a lot of emphasis in these chapters on love. And does Draco love Harry? And does Harry love Draco? And does Snape love Draco? And does, and does, you know, Draco what does know Draco? that Snape loves Draco? And does Snape know that Draco doesn't know that Snape loves Draco and love versus <laughs> loyalty? And I just have to tell you one thing. Now, as always, Everyone who has listened to this podcast series knows that I had issues with chapter 39 of this fic, and it is possible I coined the phrase, you know, Ward Cleaver Snape. And there are moments in stories like this where, you know, and, and here's the thing, I don't read trashy romance novels either, which basically, there, there's no reason why Jen and I should be friends, because I just can't find any, because I'm assuming Jen loves trashy romance novels. Well, I'll say this. I guess to bring us back on topic, when Snape him. gives his justification for why he doesn't say, I love Draco, why he won't say that to Draco, um, I agree with his analysis and like why, you know, Draco would be upset. You know, Draco doesn't want to hear this. He associates it with Lucius, but I still disagree with him and agree with Harry that even though it's going to be painful and disturbing for Draco early on, it's something for his long-term benefit that Draco probably does have to hear. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like saying if you've been dumped by a girlfriend, you know, love for you will never have any meaning. So in place of love, you need to, you know, have an affinity for boards or something. Like, you need to have a replacement for love, in this case, loyalty. Well, I guess the problem is Snape himself loves. I mean, in the canon, he loved Lily. In, you know, in the fic, he loves Harry and he loves Draco, but Snape is also a very stunted person and he's a person who has a lot of anger, you know, in, in his past and has acted very cruelly to people based on his upbringing and based on the, the choices he made since. So for Snape, that might make sense. You know, Draco, he doesn't deal well with love because to him, love means that well, he doesn't even know what that is, well, like, no. or family. Well, Snape does. Snape gets it. Draco, Draco doesn't. doesn't. Draco he doesn't. Does love him. He does love Harry, I think. He just doesn't know how to... He doesn't associate with what he feels. He doesn't associate the word love. But even though he wouldn't call what he feels love, I think it still is love. All the little things he does for Harry and the way he treats Harry, that is love. He just doesn't call it that. Well, it's that do you think he even associates it with a word? Or do you think he thinks that that is what brotherly companionship, like Slytherins are? Or do you think it's all unconsciously done? I mean, he, I think he might describe it as loyalty. But I think what he does okay, goes yeah, beyond good... simple loyalty. And it's clear to me that his feelings for Harry aren't like, you know, like a soldier's feelings for his general. It's love. Call it what you will. Yeah, I mean, well, think of it this way. How many 14-year-olds date a guy for a week and decide they're madly in love with him? I mean, people don't come with a rule book on what love means, and there's no way to know if your love is stronger than the person next to you. And, and love is a very abstract thing, but everyone kind of means the same thing with it. So that I, you never hear, you would never contemplate feeling something for someone, say you're dating someone, and after many months of dating, they say they love you. 
and you say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't love you back. And then they sit down and say, well, love to me is, and you know, this and this and this and this. And then the person's like, oh my God, I, I do love you. I just didn't know I did. <laughs> like, you don't hear that. People know it or they don't. So yeah. it's, so I when, think, I I'm mean, sorry. no, no, I'm sorry. But is it the Draco feels something for Harry, but just doesn't. But you're speaking of romantic love. That's a little bit different than. I, yeah. But it's I'm a, a new love, love for a person. I mean, you have. You know, Harry and Snape, who were people who hated each other for six years, and Harry and Draco, who hated each other. This isn't just you don't like, or you don't know someone, or you heard a thing about them once. I mean, these people have a history. They don't like each other. And part of the reason that some people don't read fics like this, and some of the reasons that I, as a new canon reader, had trouble getting into the fic, was because... It's difficult to take blood enemies and turn them into a strong family unit, even within 75 chapters. So there has to be a transformation there for Draco. So for Draco, someone who ha- who doesn't know what love is and, and has never experienced it in his life, and you know, experienced probably lust for Pansy Parkinson, but doesn't doesn't deal well with that. I think you can equate it to romantic love in the complexity of it and the unknowing factor. I mean, I'm not saying that Draco is madly in love with Harry, but Draco does love Harry, but his not knowing what love is is very similar to, you know, the 16-year-old kid who has the girlfriend. That's what I meant by that. But I think it's it's still an apt comparison. I think you could still yeah. Well, I know, like, in my family, like, I remember getting married, or even when we were engaged, the in- the introduction of love was introduced. And I, re- I remember, like, our fam- my family is not one of those touchy-feely, I love you type families. Even when one of us, like, gets on a plane, there's not a big hug, I love you, be careful moment. There's just, like, it's not, I, I guess, in- and so in my own personal experience I've always thought love was sort of sappy anyway so I can somewhat relate with Draco not only has his parents not exactly shown him love or what it is or like and you know I know my family loves me even though we don't say it like verbalize it that's mm-hmm. the same with James and me like it's never been we've, we're never we're not the type of couple who just I love you I love you but um I don't know. So I could totally understand Draco not it being very uncomfortable because I remember when James told me he loved me for the first time, like it, I was just left with this, like, I don't know, like it was sweet and all, but were there this, crickets this in the background? Taste. No, there wasn't cricket. I mean, because obviously I loved him too. It just, I hadn't gotten to the point of actually verbalizing it. Like even in my head, like I wouldn't sigh and think, Oh, I love him. You know, it, it's, it wasn't like that at all. And so I don't know, like, I guess, I kind of take Draco's side in this, this whole, I don't know, like it's all new and, and it felt, it felt to me slightly put upon him. Well, you know that, what I that, mean? Well, I, that's the they, thing because I have to tell, you know, there's, there's scenes in this, like the thing about like Jenna saying how she's not the very touchy feely, you know, I love you. I love you. I love you person. I'm probably more of the touchy feely, you know, like it's actually funny. Danielle and I will get off the phone at the end of the night and then, you know, one of us will call the other one back 10 seconds later and, you know, we'll answer the phone like, hello, did you forget something? I said, Aww. I love you. I'm like, oh, I love you too. Like, it's like, <laughs> well, and yet, so, I love reading about stuff like that. Like, yeah. I'm a complete hypocrite. But here's the thing I love the fact that in this fic, we're dealing with Severus Snape and we're dealing with Draco Malfoy. So, you know, I, you, you know, you were my son, you idiot child, equals I love you very much. That's fine. You know, Snape snarling at Harry, or what, what's the word, Chief, the, the word that you love used there? Scathed. Yes, when Snape has <laughs> scathed at Harry, 
You can actually hear her blood vessels popping if you listen really <laughs> softly. I know. I was like, do we hear scathing? There's an actual sound to it. <laughs> scathing has a sound effect. I wish, like, the gong goes off. But, you know, that is affection. Snape being a hard ass means he loves Harry. I mean, that's fine. So... I have moaned and groaned <laughs> in the story lovely. when, you know, Snape wraps his arm around Harry and they sp- and, and they're spooning and they're not and spooning, they've got the, it was medicinal. And they've got the water and they're floating in the water of Snape's <laughs> inner person. I'm like, what the hell is this? Because it was too soon. I'm like, you hated him five chapters ago. What the hell is going on? Like it was weird. And like obviously there were moments where I thought Snape was too word cleaverish and I'm like, you need the snark, man. Then you turn the snark up and I was fine. So there have been moments when I, when I felt like the emotional factor did not ring true. So I'm, I'm sitting at my desk today and, and I, I, I've had to travel for work this week and I wasn't able to get my iPod working right so I couldn't listen to the chapters. I was listening to the chapters and reading right up until the podcast tonight. So I'm trying to catch up today at work. And I'm at the scene where Harry and Draco are at Devon and they're talking and Harry has already blurted out that he loves Draco. And Draco's like, and I only have the words in front of me, but it's like, Dra- Harry, yeah. I, do you have the words? My favorite scene in that section. Yeah. Okay, can you, can you read oh, it? Do you, have it right, do you have it right there? Can you read it? Evidently, though, it wasn't soothing for the Slytherin boy. He was fidgeting restlessly, his silver gaze repeatedly darting between Harry and the table. The longer they sat there, the more nervous Draco seemed to get. Nervous and upset. I have to tell you something, Draco suddenly blurted. Harry licked a bit of whipped cream from the corner of his mouth. At this point, my eyes like mm-hmm. darted up like, I think something <laughs> is about to happen. No. And I stopped typing, <laughs> and I just stared. Continue. The Slytherin boy swallowed and backed his chair away. Remember how you said you loved me? Now, at this point, I'm actually saying under my breath, oh, God. <laughs> Are you really? When I was listening to it for the first time, yes. Now, keep reading. Oh. Well, no, no, it's himself, okay. Keep reading. Harry felt himself flushing red. But he wasn't about to go back on it, so he brazened it out. Yeah, what of it? Hmm, that had come out sounding a tad belligerent, he realized after the fact. Draco didn't appear to notice. Wrapping his hands around his mug, now empty, he held to it as though it was some sort of lifeline. Well, I wanted to make sure I told you that I love you too, he whispered, tension in every line of his face. I love you with everything that's in me, with all my heart. Now, at that point, <laughs> I kid you not, I literally it's now not like that. Well, no, I know that, but here's the thing. It's at that point, no, it's not. But that's the point. It's it not. But no, it's too. no. Jen, Jen, calm down. <laughs> it's not. Jen, calm down. At that point, literally. I, I use head desk as an expression on the forums. I literally <laughs> smacked my head into my desk. Word. And literally, I, I repeated the action three times so that my coworker actually stood up and looked <laughs> over at the cube to make sure I was all right. Because I could not, for the ever-living, like, I've been saying all these chapters, Draco, you know, he's such a loving character. Like, there is no way in hell that Draco would ever say that that way to Harry unless he were about to rip his shirt open and, and take him there on the table. Like, it does not happen. But it's fine. It's fine, though, because Draco didn't mean it. Draco was saying what he thought Harry wanted to hear because he thought that he needed to convey to Harry that point, even though Draco himself didn't feel it because Draco himself didn't know what it meant. And I liked the fact 
that Harry immediately called him on it and said, no, you don't. You're a terrible liar. You don't. And I'm okay with that because there, 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 there's two different things here. When a character says something, like say you're reading a, you know, a fan fiction and, and Harry does, does something to Ginny. And you think to yourself, that was completely out of character. There's no way Harry would ever do that. And then Ginny says, Harry, there is no way you would ever do that to me. What is going on? You're like, okay, because at least the author gets it. And if the author gets it, it's plot. If the author doesn't get it, it's poorly written. So So I felt immediately reassured that Aspen got that Draco would never say that. And Draco is, there there is a plan within a plan here. And I was like, yeah, something's a a, a plot. But I didn't know that going into it, Jen. And I thought that Draco was like, I love you with all my heart. I'm like, what? Well, I thought Draco would like never wake up. Like I thought he was going to be comatose boy for the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, Jen, you thought he had the brain tumor because he got, like, he was tired of the commute to work every day. So he has to be ridden out of here. Like, I was other. really worried. Oh, God. But, the, but, I, but I do really like, um, I do like that. And I do like the fact that Harry has the talk with Draco and says, how could you feel as though Snape would ever want something from you? Why would you ever feel that everything he's doing for you comes with a price tag? Because that's what Draco is accustomed to. And there was more layers to it. Snape overheard that because he bugged the place. And... <laughs> no! <laughs> Why is this so funny with that? He didn't bug the place. Were you a he, muggle? It... Apparently uh-huh. I am. No, he had the... Well, yeah, he had the... Um, it was the... a muggle. <laughs> no, how, you know, he heard the conversation. He had the what? Well, he he had... eavesdropped, or I guess. He just was walking by. No, he wasn't was walking it, by. It was a magical orb thingy. It was the magical was orb thingy. He bugged the place. Stop laughing oh. at me. <laughs> Read the story a couple times, and then you get to comment, Jennifer. <laughs> I forgot about the orb thing. I'm sorry. Mm. She has it going. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> she, are you Are you here? <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm just listening to the brilliance that is. Um, you sound like I woke you up. It just makes me so sad. Like, I think the whole issue with like with Draco not with him misunderstanding love and like expecting to what's the word expecting to have to do something to earn it back or that he felt he had to say it back because that was the done thing. Rather than yeah. saying it back because he meant like seriously, I just like he's like the Daniel. boy that I just keep feeling more sorry for as the chapters progress. Well, then he yeah. starts juggling. I mean, and that's not a good he's sign. A, well, I think what's or, interesting or, about these chapters is that you go from yeah, before we kind of felt bad for Draco and things were, you know, like his life was like totally turned upside down and he's having to learn the new family situation and like he's being left out of the adoption and like these chapters. You go, wow, maybe the story, like, maybe Harry doesn't have it as bad. He's not the only one who's got a really tough life. Like, Draco, we find out so much more about his background just by the introduction of the new family Mm. and how he reacts. Like, it's so depressing. And then you go, wow, you compare the two and you can't decide which had a worse childhood. Harry, for being completely neglected and meant you know verbally abused and even somewhat physically abused apparently and or draco who felt that love was something that was a manipulation and i mean both are horrible like these this story is like the exact what you don't do in parenting 
Mm-hmm. You know, and like she kept like, and so you can't decide which has it worse. And and I think when you take the sympathy off someone as, you know, as Harry Potter obviously is like the most, I feel most sympathetic towards Harry Potter, that character in the canon, the series. And, and that's what makes him so appealing because you're so sympathetic and yet he keeps going on and on and he keeps succeeding. And, and then the, you, they introduce, Aspen introduces a character like Draco and you get to watch his progression and for her to take in 69 chapters or 70, a character that we hate and make us actually go get to the point where you can't decide which character is worse off and which has gone the farthest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to, where you compare the two next to each other. Well, that's the frustration that's a lot of people really have interesting. with Ken and Draco is because Ken and Draco, I feel is a missed opportunity. He's like, the Star Trek Voyager of, of, you know, Harry Potter. He's the great concept that you don't really use because your story is going in a different direction. And I think the story definitely shows, you know, the range you can have with, you know, a very angry character who has this past, who has all of this potential in the future. And it's interesting as we're talking here, I'm thinking about the whole story because right now we're 74 chapters in, you know, we've got 22 chapters to go and, and I think an epilogue too. And when you think about how far the the show the, the the fic has gone, you've got like you know, literally forty fifty chapters of setup, and you need to convince the reader that you know Snape can be this person. You need to convince you know the the, the reader that Draco can be this person, and that Ron can be this person, and that you know Ron and Hermione's presence in Harry's life is believable, and Harry's love for Snape is believable, and that does take a lot of, a lot of time to do. I'm not sure if it should have taken fifty chapters, but you know that's that's the type of story that Aspen's writing. So I'm, you know, I can't go both ways. I can't say, you know, she convinced me of everything, but then say that she should have done it in half the time. I mean, come on. But I guess my thing is, and I've been wondering this until the readings for tonight, I didn't know where the story was going. My quite, my thing is for what is the year just going to end and they're going to go home. Like, is there a cliffhanger? Is there a central plot that we're working towards? Cause I read, novel length fan fiction. So I'm accustomed to at the end of the fan fiction, there is a final battle or there is, you know, the huge revelation or there is, you know, that, that huge ending. I didn't know where the story was going to. And even at the end of 74, there's a, it, it's essentially a murder mystery at this point, you know, who, who done it, who, who was the one who, you know, killed Pansy and who was the one that attacked Draco and, and you know, how, you know, it's, it's like a who done it. And I, I would suspect, I'm going to be smacking the top of my head when I read it because I'm assuming that there's a lot of stuff I just missed that, you know, goes into that. But just from a writing standpoint, that was just one thing I wanted to comment on that, you know, it's pretty much a two part story. Half the part, half the story is convincing us of the characters or convincing me of the characters. And then it's taking you somewhere else. And I'm still not sure where it's going yet. Ryan, I, I was curious yeah. saying that it popped in my head to ask you, as someone who's reading this for the first time, I think you're the only one here, right, who's not read this whole thing before? Right. Uh, what do you, I mean, as far as you can tell, what do you make of the whole, of what happened up in the hour? Like, I think Harry, wait, Harry suspects Pansy of being evil. I guess no, well, bad. it's one of those knowing that, here's the thing, you can, over, like, and Aspen has completely caused me to need therapy now, because <laughs> there's what I think happened. But then, you know, that's too simple. So there's going to be another layer to it. So it's, it's the big conspiracy where you have the guy and Polyjuice and you've got 
guy in the Dumbledore wig in Severus is really <laughs> Ryan's the guy that keeps going back and like rereading and but rereading then and, like, that's way like, too complicated because that's what she <laughs> wants me to think so what really happened is Draco killed Pansy and everyone else is in the sense of denial like like like, I, like she has got me so confused like this is what Aspen has done she has taken my car in a snowstorm and driven it into the street so it's stuck under a bank of snow and left it there and walked away. <laughs> what? That is a horrible metaphor. That is a wonderful metaphor, Jen. You live in Texas, so you don't know what it means, but trust me, <laughs> if you live in New England and you have to shovel, you know what that means. I want to come see you when it snows so I can see. Jen, if you want to come up and shovel for me, you're more than welcome to. Oh. Oh, I'm sure you'll have a story for it. I don't understand. I honestly am confused at the metaphor. Like, you think that this story, like, she wrote it no, and she traditional... put you on a cliff and then, like, left you there to hang and die? Yes, Aspen killed me is what I was trying to say. No. I mean, <laughs> like, here's the I thing. And I, and I, no, and I, was, and I was hinting at this earlier, too. I mean, when you think about you're like none other, it's a... As, or let me take that back. When you think about Aspen, she's an extraordinarily gifted writer. That is, that she is a Slytherin. I don't know what the hell happened with the sword they had in her form, but Aspen is a Slytherin, and she Slytherin. is plots within plots within plots within plots within plots. So as I read this, I don't know what mood she was in that day. I don't know if it's like like here's the thing. I was trying to figure out how Draco would not die. So I came up with this elaborate, you know, explanation involving garden gnomes as to how Draco wouldn't die. But if I read. <laughs> The the, the 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 dream, the seer dream again, I would have realized no one ever says that Draco dies. So it's a very simple solution, and I made it into this thing involving freaking garden gnomes. But, so I don't know if the solution was very simple or the solution was very complicated. So I guess my long-winded answer to your question is, personally, I believe that Draco was attacked by someone. I personally, I don't know if it really matters what side Pansy was on, although I'm... Like, here's the thing. Someone, okay, someone attacked Draco, is what I believe. I don't believe that Draco is just playing along with the whole thing. I think Draco is manipulated in some way. I believe that Pansy is dead. So I believe someone attacked Draco and someone attacked Pansy. I have to believe that if Pansy, they got up to the Owlry somehow, and no one has asked them yet what they're doing in the Owlry, and that's one thing that is occurring to me. Because Harry said, whatever you do, don't go to the Owlry. So either that put the thought into Draco's mind, why would they get up there? Why didn't the wards work while well, they were deactivated? I didn't think Draco would be able to deactivate wards. So there's something, I don't know, there's some, there's some large-scale conspiracy going on, is, is my belief, and there's some part of it that is hidden in plain sight. There's a very simple thing that I'm going to smack my head over. Right now, my question is, what the hell were you doing up in the Owlry, Draco? And I don't think anyone's asked him that yet. So that's where I, as a reader, am coming from right now. But at the same time, I feel like they're building to that. Like, I don't feel like it's like it's something that we're still, it's still in the back of your mind that you're going, or even the front of your mind, that you're going... I mean, it's not something that you're honestly worried that she's going to leave out, is it? No, I don't, but I cannot begin to guess. I Because here's the thing, and I'm wondering <laughs> if I'm going to be disappointed. Like, if I go and read, you know, any other fic right now, you know, if it's a murder mystery, you should be able to... There, there's rules with murder mysteries. You should be able to, to relatively take the evidence and guess. I can't even begin to guess with this because it's so complicated. And Asim was actually mocking me last night because she was telling me it gets so complicated she has trouble remembering what happens sometimes. <laughs> so I freaking give up, man. Well, I don't know. Mike, were you disappointed? Don't give anything away, but 
I can't remember if I what my reaction was to finding out. Like I, I just remember I that I went, out. "Oh, yeah. that makes sense." Or did you figure it out? You said, "Well, not not at the point we are now, but about three chapters from now, I figured it out." She was yeah, you. I did too. I figured it out. I figured it out. When did you figure With it out? Pencil and a pad. I what figured it out. Huh? She went. The next time. Oh, I don't know. I think I figured out before, and then it was confirmed, and I went, "Okay." Should I be able to guess right now? No. No. You could. You shouldn't be able to. I mean, you could guess. Well, I'm extraordinary so far. I mean, I've been guessing things that no ordinary human should be able to guess so far. So maybe. Yeah, that's true. I don't think I know yet, but I will. I will call you if I know. Can you can you answer me a question though? Can you give me a hint? Does it involve a garden gnome? No. All right. Yes. Not a garden. <laughs> One from Dumbledore's garden. Oh, let's talk about Dumbledore. Um, Dumbledore's gay garden. <laughs> He's gay now. Dumbledore. Apparently. Dumbledore is gay. I just said Dumbledore. Yes, Did anyone hear? That was in the latest J.K. Um, interview. Like she always imagined Dumbledore as gay. Are you serious? Yes, wait, but yeah. Grindelwald died, sadly enough, and they could not continue their relationship. Dumbledore was gay all the time? Yes, he what about like, it was what part of the purple pimp suit did you miss in Nothing um, <laughs> 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 screams I'm gay like a purple pimp suit. I'm sorry. Back to your regularly scheduled podcasting. I love how like, I love how she's on mute for an hour, pops in in the middle of eating Chinese food to tell us that Dumbledore was gay and he was a pimp and then disappears back into the forest. <laughs> I'm eating caramels. I'm sorry, I'm like envisioning like his lemon drops. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. Okay. Can I just say that I think like the saddest line in this, in all these chapters is in when we were talking earlier, we were talking about the conversation between Harry and Draco and Draco saying, you know, you remember that conversation? Yeah, I love you too. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but in, but at the end of that paragraph, like, I don't know if we actually mentioned this, but he said, Harry goes, even Severus, at Draco, after all this time, how can you think he wants something from you when he says he loves you? And Draco says, he, he doesn't say he loves me. He's never said it. And, now that I think about it, like, how awkward would that be for Snape to just walk up to Draco and be like, I love you? It should. And, and like, but at the same time, like, he is a boy with, like, fa- like you need something. And evidently he needs to be told that, I guess. You, well, here's the thing, though. I mean, this it's is a fic. cry for love. Well, this is a fic, though, where Harry routinely calls Draco Malfoy his brother, where Snape refers to Draco as his son. You know, Draco refers to Snape as his father. So I love you doesn't seem like it's out of the realm of, I mean, there, we're, we're pushing some serious ground in this fix. That doesn't but seem. But at the same time, Draco is the character that needs constant approval. He needs. No, it wouldn't you know, seem out of place is what I'm saying for Snape to say, I love you. Like they, they like. Really? He, I don't think so because he says it to Harry and like, you know. Like, I guess. It doesn't seem like that's the thing. It doesn't seem like it would be that big of a. a but Harry is so needy, and Draco is like the older brother. You know, like my sister like slept with my parents until she was like I don't know twenty one, and <laughs> and 
<laughs> and, and I always stayed in my own room. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it's like that kind of, I don't know. Does that, is that I have a good metaphor? no idea. Cause like my sister and I always had each other. Like twins, you always have each other. So um, like we would only yeah. ever go to mom and like we would have conferences if we were going to go to mom and dad's room, like to decide whether or not that was an appropriate action or not. <laughs> like, it's hard to believe you got ow. held up unscathed for so long. It's just like I don't know. I know that defines well, Jen the was work. listening to us fight today, so she knows we kind of have a unique relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an only She's... child. I don't know. <laughs> but Jen I think was laughing well, at I... us because interesting. But go. No, well, I know sisters. <laughs> But I wonder, Mike, do you have a brother? I know, Ryan, I have a you don't. Okay. Do you find that the relationship that Draco and Harry have is similar to a brotherly relationship? Oh, yes. It reminds me really? a lot of my constant bickering, driving our parents' mother crazy, just up the wall with our bickering and fighting over every little thing. Well, I'm glad to oh, know yeah. that because uh, this is written by a woman, and I know that I have a sister, and like Harry and Draco fight just like Shannon and I did, but we're sisters. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't exactly how boys, because Ryan said something last week, and he was like, guys would never do this, like when they, they would have the sex talk when they're like 14, but not at their well, they age. They were having the sex talk. They were having like, or do you know what I mean? Like yeah, they were two 16 year olds, you know, like having a sleepover and they're talking about, you know, what girls they like. If you're 16, you're talking about what girls you want to have sex with. I mean, that's just, yeah. That's, I, 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 that's, I, I, that's I, I, hormones. I mean, yeah. Girls don't start doing that until you're like 17 or 18. <laughs> girls don't usually do that until after. Certain yeah. events happen. It's like twenty, exactly. like even anyway, and then it's whatever. Yeah, the guys but, pretend that well, the, well, the events have already happened, but of course, <laughs> there's no possibility of that having occurred. So, yeah, yeah. that I think most brothers do. I think most brothers tend to have like uh, sort of more of a shoving matches, kind of fighting too. Then the talk to talk, like these guys yeah. have some real heartfelt conversations. Well, they do. I mean, like th- here's the thing: for all of you know, like the. The, the well, not the angst, but for all of the characterization that's present throughout this of you know you idiot children and Snape being Mister Badass and Draco being the former you know like gangster kid who's now turned good. I mean, they're very in touch with themselves. I mean, like Draco is Jess. <laughs> yes, he is Jess from Gilmore Girls. That that is true. He Draco. If Draco writes po- poetry, I'm leaving. Though I mean, there's only so far we can take. <laughs> oh, but, but no, I mean, there's only like at some point you. you like, it just doesn't feel right for the character, which is why I was very gratified to know that Draco was was absolutely faking it for his life. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, you know, okay, so, like, let's get into plot. So, the, the primary okay. plot that we have here is Jen just, like, sat up in her chair. I mean, No, have, I've been sitting up! Oh, oh, Damn well, it! I meant, stri- <laughs> I, I meant straight, Jen. You sat up straight. Okay, yes, like the yes, British. good. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, so... The, the plot that we have is that, obviously, you know, we have the Marauder's Map, and we have, you know, Snape and, and Harry watch Draco presumably throw Pansy over the Owlry as she screams, Am I going to die? as she explodes on the ground. And, and she pops like a small balloon. Stop! Sorry. It wasn't really a balloon. It was a water yeah, balloon. you're such of. a boy sometimes. She oh. already before she went over, though, wasn't she? <laughs> Right, she was filled with water. She was filled with water on the way down. Did she? No, she died on impact, didn't she? And she had to be filled with water before hope. she went over. Did she die on impact, or did she explode on impact? I can't remember. 
What are we Whoa. talking about? Pansy. Oh my god! Pansy blowing up as she hit the ground. Who? <laughs> We're not. Talking- are you even reading the same story as us, Are you oh, there, Pansy? I'm sorry. I'm going. What the hell are you people? What did you think about? I said? I don't know. I thought you were talking about like a real life person, and I was going, "That's rather callous of you to be talking like that." I, I know. Like, this takes me back out. to the drowning victim conversation. Stop. I, I, I need to sign out of instant messenger conversations because everybody keeps going, oh, my God, Dumbledore's came. Like, I know I'm podcasting. Go away. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, anyway. Okay. Yeah, but, um, okay, so, where, the, where the hell was I going? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm talking about water. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about something else. Well, no, let's, let's, talk, talk, let's talk about, um, well, we're, we're doing the whole plot. So, I mean, basically we have the plot of, you know, we have Harry throughout these chapters. To, you know, he is he is devout. I am standing by my family, and he gets Harry, he gets Hermione and Ron to lie for him, and he has stuff on both of them. He has, you know, on Hermione that you screwed up last time, and he ha- what does he have on Ron? He has the I saved you from detention, and he basically blackmails the rest of the trio to lie for him and say that they didn't see Draco outside of the tower. And then there's, and I was even getting confused by the level of lies. And I think Aspen hinted at this in a conversation I had with her, just that there was, even she was getting confused what was what. There's one set of stories, there's one set of stories that were telling the press. There's one set of stories that were telling the Aurors. There's one set of stories that were telling the Aurors who are in the Order. And the, the, you know, Shacklebolt and Tonks know that Draco left the tower, but we're not going to tell anyone else that. And we're going to tell the students that Draco was there the whole time. My thing is, if you lie to this many people for this long, you're going to screw this up. But Snape is an intelligent genius. But Harry isn't. Snape leaves for three minutes. And that's why Snape keeps being like, Harry, don't talk unless I say Harry talk. And then gives him like that mom stare. Oh, I've gone the stare. Well, really, really screwed up. I've gone the stare. That's awesome. Yeah. Something Ryan said actually brings up a point I wanted to make. Wow, in terms of um, Tonks and uh, Kingsley, mm-hmm. is it just me or from a moral stance? Like through the previous book, from when this is written, book five, all we see is how much, how bad it is when the ministry abuses the system. And now we see. Oh, they're the completely the abusing the system. Yeah, abuse, you know, the Order of the Phoenix is abusing the system. It's oh, kind of like- could you imagine if this was happening in the real world? If, like, you know, like, a guy in a town was found next to a dead body, so his brother-in-law, the sheriff, is going to personally investigate the case, and he wants to be able to censor any evidence before it goes to the press, and they're going to deliver, you know, the transcript to Dumbledore, and Dumbledore will take out the parts he doesn't want people to know. I mean, t- Dumbledore is Tony Soprano in this effect. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, well, think about the... he kind of was in the canon, as it turns out. He kind of was manipulating everybody, and most politicians are manipulators, though, Ryan. You work with them, you well, know. No, but there's the difference... <laughs> the thing with Dumbledore in the canon is Dumbledore in the canon... Oh. Like, does he have... Here's the thing. Like, Joe has come out this last week and described him as Machiavellian, and I, and I can see where that comes from. Dr- Dumbledore did use people, but... Dumbledore used people when he didn't really have many other cho- much other choice. I mean, th- he used Harry, but Harry was already involved in this prophecy. 
So it's not like he went out and picked Harry's lab rat and put Harry through this maze. Harry was going through the maze anyway, so Dumbledore took advantage of that. And I do draw a distinction there. This Dumbledore, at times, seems like Dumbledore on overdrive. Now, think of Dumbledore throughout, you know, the story. Think of Dumbledore throughout the early fix. You can, you can look at him in two different ways. You can look at him and say he trusted Harry as an 11-year-old to go into the Forbidden Forest. He trusted two 13-year-olds with a time turner. He was an incredibly t- trusting person. Dumbledore, tr- wasn't that what we were all saying, you know, before Deathly Hallows came out, that Dumbledore, Dumbledore trusts people too much. He gives too many chances to people. Well, we were saying that was one theory. One theory, and it didn't really pan out. But you know, Dumbledore was seen as is you know ultra trusting. He was almost like the person who would give you the clothes off your back, even if the person he's giving the clothes to would stab him. I mean, he he was a trusting individual. And when you look at the Dumbledore in these chapters, the, he wants Draco out of there right away, and he's using everybody all the time. And you find out that he, you know, he, he is basically running the shots. He is telling the, the oars what they are allowed to release. They may be law enforcement officials, but they work for Albus Dumbledore first and foremost. And, you know, he tells Lupin, you know, here's my plan for your life for the next 35 years. (laughs) And like, like, like that's like, that's like, and my thing was he would want to help Draco. Like, I believe the Dumbledore would want to help Draco in the canon. He would, he would help. He might take advantage of that. He might use it for other purposes, but he would. You really believe that? Yes. Differences. I totally disagree. I think I'm really deep here is that in this fic, he calls Draco Malfoy, but then in the books, he calls Draco Draco. Like from the very start, so you know, like it's kind of like a different mindset. Like the one time, the only time we see him talking to Draco, Draco is Draco, and through this fic, he's Malfoy. I think it shows sort of. I think he's more biased against Slytherins in a lot of ways in this fic. And I think he's more, like you said, manipulative. Yeah, I mean, and let me just say, like, what I'm saying is, I think that he would, like, Dumbledore in the canon could have kicked every single Slytherin out of Hogwarts. And he could have gone into ultra lockdown mode and he could have done anything he could have to protect Harry and to protect the war effort, but he didn't. He made Harry work for it. He saw that there were more important things than just telling Harry, here's everything I know about the Hallows. Here's everything I know about the Horcruxes. Here's a list of everything I've done so far. So you have a basis to begin your, you know, your research. He left Harry with nothing because Dumbledore's character to me is always that person who sees six steps ahead. And he knows what's going to happen and he plans for it. And while we do get that inner Slytherin sense of planning here, this Dumbledore is more emotional. He sees that Harry has a black eye and he wants Draco out of there, the hell with the war effort. And it gets to the point where Snape has to, you know, resign his position nearly to get Dumbledore to acquiesce to his request. Like, and, and I've talked to, <laughs> a- no, and I talked to Aspen about this and she really stuck up for her Dumbledore and I can see her reasons. I mean, look at, Jen and I are on opposite issues of this. This is something that some people will never trust him. Some people still think he's grandpa. Dumbledore is a character that a lot of people are going to, are going to debate for a long period of time. But this Dumbledore, for, like, just, you know, my boy, you got to do this. Sorry, my boy, can't tell you anything. You know, I would if I could, but, you know, I got to keep this, you know, a little bit of confidentiality here. And he, this Dumbledore, he just seems like a mob boss to me. It's just like he's running everything. He's running no, the government. In a way, though, I can see that, and I, I think I see that, yeah, maybe he's a little bit more obvious in this fic than what he is in, in the canon, 
But I think that the, what he's doing is basically the same. He's still running things like even Snape says the Deathly Hallows. You're why are you like what is what is he saying? No, he says why, why yeah. are you making Harry? You were you know why are you building him up only to be killed? Or and here's and here's my thought on that. That was Dumbledore's most controversial moment in all seven books at the end of Deathly Hallows. It's true. Definitely. And Joe even made a reference. I thought it was a great reference in the interview she had last week, where she said, "Who could believe that you'll get to a, po- a moment where you side with Snape over Dumbledore in the canon?" Well, she obviously didn't say in the canon, but you know what I mean. So, <laughs> you know, Joe in this fic I wrote. So you know <laughs> when, when you when, so that's the most controversial. But I can explain that. I think it was a callous statement. I think it's a callous way to look at the world, but it's like saying if you have someone that you know has cancer and is dying, can you take, you know, blood cells from them or skin cells, or can you experiment on this person to draw, you know, materials from to use to possibly save other people who have this disease? And they may be very painful and they may threaten the person, but you have cancer and you're going to die anyway. Is it, is it worth it? Some people would say, absolutely not. How dare you suggest that? Other people would say, you know what? There's nothing that can be done. It's like you shoot an airliner down if it's try, if it's flying at a building. Well, if you shoot it down, you're going to kill 200 people. If you don't shoot it down, 2,000 people in the building will die. What do you do? I mean, that is what I saw as Dumbledore in Deathly Hallows. He was the one who was going to shoot down the airliner because shooting down the airliner saved more lives. I think he callously made that decision, and I think in that scene with Snape, he didn't seem remorseful about that decision. I mean, that has to be gut-wrenching to shoot down you know, a plane and kill people if it means that you're going to save more lives in doing so. But still, that's going to rip you up inside. I think the complaint I have with Dumbledore there was he didn't seem really bothered by it. And you know he did. At that moment in time, he probably just didn't, you know, he wasn't expressing that. But right. this Dumbledore here, he, he seems like he's not looking 12 steps ahead. And he, I want Draco out of here now. That's it. You, you, and he's, you know, he's biased against the Slytherins to a degree. And he's biased against the Malfoys to a degree. And you should, like, in my mind, you shouldn't be having to teach Albus Dumbledore this. Dumbledore should already know this. Dumbledore should be the most tolerant person, and he's not. And to me, that just didn't seem right. No, he's flawed, and he came around. And he did apologize to Draco, and he did, when he realized what was happening, he did become more thoughtful. But he, you know, he just... But this was right after 5, too, where we see, like, at the end of 5, I was like, wow, Dumbledore is so flawed. He's human. He's going to make mistakes. But at the same time, I did sympathize with him there in 5. I understood where he was coming from. But at the same time, it could be mis- it could be interpreted as... He should have known better. He, you know, he manipulated things and he didn't tell the truth. And maybe he's not as perfect as we all wished that he. I mean, I know that I had like in books one through even four, you know, until the end. uh, I was the biggest Dumbledore fan. Like I always I wanted someone like that. And I knew that Dumbledore was good. And like he had a twinkle in his eye and like he was just one of those special people who you just ra- rarely get to meet. Like, and I always thought Dumbledore would die, but it would be like a good thing. And like Harry would have learned so much. And you find out like all his manipulations and his like, it is almost inhuman cruelty that he can expand, you know, ex- what's the word? Um, Experiment. What? Experiment. 
No, no, no. Like where you put someone out there, you expend. Make you, them um, expendable. Expendable. Make them expendable. Yeah, you can have an expendable staff and family and people. And and like I can't help the feeling of why why was he given the right and the job to say who does what, who lives, who dies, who's expendable, who's important, you know, and everybody just here go Karen? along with it. Both. And like, and in this, yeah, it's a little bit more obvious that we know that he doesn't know everything. But yeah. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's, it takes away from the story. Well, here it's just, I mean, that was, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Because that's okay. something that well, I was I was talking to Mike, but you're welcome. Um, I'm glad like I'm <laughs> oh, glad you brought up never you mind. Know, just the it's the other shoe. I mean, okay, we know that Draco probably didn't kill Pansy, so it's a good thing that we defeat Lucius. But yeah, you have you know Dumbledore here, you know, basically censoring evidence. You have you know law enforcement officials saying, okay, as long as you convince us that you didn't do it, we're going to doctor all these documents. We don't care. And, or this is a good. Oh, sorry, go. Yeah, I mean th- that was no, no problem. I mean that just it did jump out at me that you know these are the these are the good guys doing this and they are well, breaking all the rules and just. Uh, do you get the idea here that Lucius is worse? That Dumbledore thinks worse of Lucius than he does Voldemort. Like I get in some in some ways, I feel like Dumbledore hates Lucius Malfoy, and like he definitely holds it against Draco at times that he's even like semi-related. Although he has a Grin- Gryffindor mentality that he's if someone talks him into it, he'll give him a, a second chance. But his initial thought is not good. Trouble. Well, I never got I the think- sense. Oh, I'm sorry. Go- no, I've been blabbing all night. Go. I get the sense sometimes almost that Dumbledore's a little jealous of Snape and Malfoy. I think one of the big differences between this Dumbledore and the Dumbledore in canon is uh, Harry's point of view of him. That up and through book six, even through most of book seven, you know, Dumbledore's Harry's father figure, really. And there's this mentor-student sort of relationship back and forth. And regardless of whether Dumbledore sacrifices Harry, he still cares for Harry. They still have this special relationship. And now kind of... uh, through this whole, I mean, Harry's kind of, you know, curses out at Dumbledore a couple of times in this story, and now he's like, you know, he's caring for Malfoy and Snape over Dumbledore. He's saying he's going to, I'll forget the prophecy, I'm going to go off to Brazil and speak Portuguese instead of uh, follow your game plan. I think Dumbledore feels like a little betrayed here. Well, there was a reference he even made, too, to one. Yeah, that's a good He was afraid of um, Snape and Harry teaming up. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they would, they would be they they're both very stubborn people, and like let me even say this: they, okay, we're gonna look at you know you're like none other Dumbledore. What reason did he have to tell them that they couldn't speak to Remus, or not to warn them for that matter? What he looked like—that's unforgivable to me. Yeah, there there was no reason he. Well, his excuse was. This is the Dumbledore that thinks ahead for everything. There was no excuse for yeah him, you know, not saying in advance. By the way, he might be resembling Lucius Malfoy, and the reason I believe he didn't do that was because if he looked through there and he looked like Remus Lupin, he never needed to alert them to the fact that he was masquerading as as Lucius Malfoy. So he didn't warn them because he was afraid of giving away that information unnecessarily. And as it turns out, he needed to give away that information. So. When, so let's think of this. So if, with that knowledge, and that now does that seem right? Do you agree with that, or do you not? 
See, I thought he was being petty, like he was pissed off that uh, Snape and Harry were undermining him and threatening to run away, basically, and abandon you know his entire war. No, but before that, but before that, they threatened. Okay, the way it works is they came and said we need to speak to to, to Remus, and and Dumbledore said no, and they said we need to speak to him right now, and Dumbledore said no, and they said and, and Snape said fine, I'm gonna quit, I'm taking Harry with me, we're going away, good luck with your war, and then Dumbledore says well maybe I can let you speak to him Monday, and they say now, and he says fine, so he gets Remus to come through, so. In, he refused to let them see Remus right, before not, he th- he threatened to quit. Right, no, that's what I'm saying, is that he refuses, and because they blackmail him and force him into showing Remus, not telling them about Malfoy's his kind of snide way of, uh, you know, getting back at them, like a petty little thing. Well, no, but I'm asking a different question, but first, when why wouldn't he let them see Remus in the beginning before he threatened to quit? He just said, hey, can we see Remus? Oh, and, see. He said, and he said, no. Why not? Because he felt like, you know, at that point they're saying, this is a matter of life and death. We need to speak to Remus. And he would not let them do it, even if it's a matter of life and death. And as we find, the worst case scenario really for Remus is that it will, there, there was the possibility of Remus being discovered. So maybe his concern was exposing Remus. And, you know, I, I guess I could buy into that. But my, thought on why he did once that thing had happened if he poked his head through and said remus come through and remus you know was on a coffee break and resembled himself remus comes through you know they don't know why there was a big deal about talking to him they exchange information remus goes back but if he looked through and remus was in his you know malfoy disguise then you know the cover would be blown i didn't think he did that to be spiteful i think he did that because he didn't want to reveal any more than he had to i see what you're saying I'm going to go ahead and, and play devil's advocate here and mm-hmm. go ahead and, and just kind of say what I really think at this point. I hate this characterization of Dumbledore, and I hate this characterization of Ramus, and this is the part of the fic that I really have to push to get through because they both drive me absolutely crazy, and and it really is more of a feeling of frustration that I feel like this villainization of Dumbledore was so prevalent post book five that I can't, I almost can't stomach it anymore because the world is not black and white there. It's, it's all in shades of gray. And so, I mean, I do believe there are absolute rights and there are absolute wrongs and that's fine. But at the same time, we live in a real-world situation, and the fact of the matter is, and I've said it once and I'll say it a million times, I think half the fandom and half the fanfiction authors need to get over this lingering disappointment in Dumbledore because he's not perfect, and he turns out to be sort of a manipulator, and he's a, you know very much a politician, and he's power-hungry. Well, so what? You know, we find out all those things about our grandparents. Like, if you don't think you're, if you have a favorite grandparent and you don't think that they have faults, like, wake up, smell the roses, like, get over it, you know? And I'm really frustrated at this point because it feels, Dumbledore feels cliche. But and she, before Deathly Hallows came out. I know, but this was a, this was a pretty prevalent characterization post book five. Because what did we find out in book five? We find out that Dumbledore isn't perfect. We find out, you know, 
that sometimes he, you know, doesn't know everything that's going on and that he deliberately mistreats Harry. And, you know, so all these things, there's a lot of post-Book 5 venom in the fandom. And I don't know. I guess my frustration is more... I long for a different interpretation of Dumbledore. I long for a different interpretation of Dumbledore. I wish I could find something somewhere between the sinner and the saint. Because I think that that's where the true man lies. And he either is, in fanfiction, he's either a bumbling, manipulative idiot, or he's a conniving, manipulated, manipulative idiot, or he is, you know, a saint who's been mislabeled. And he's none of those things. He's a saint who's been mislabeled, who's conniving and bumbling, and sometimes an idiot. He's all of those things. You know, I know I'm probably being unnecessarily harsh, well, but I really think that Aspen doesn't give Dumbledore the credit where credit is due. And I feel like all of his actions in this character, this is, you know, Melinda gives up about Chapter 70, and Jules gives up about 70, and they all give up on the Snape... Um, being called dad by Harry. And I give up on the Dumbledore and the Ramus characterizations because if you know me, you Can know that you can't just stop you Just point of order here. Just point of order. What is your um, issue with the with the Remus characterization? I think we were... With the we all, Remus? <clears throat> yeah, with the all, Remus characterization? Yeah. I think that she strips the strength of the Remus character. Which is? Which is the... Well, okay, in the beginning of the story, she has to, in order to manipulate the circumstances, um, fragment Ramus' relationship with Harry mm-hmm. and make it less important than Snape's relationship with Harry, which is fine because that's what you have to do to manipulate the story. Whatever, fine, I get that. But then, you know, in Chapter 74, when we're faced with Ramus, he just kind of, like, I'm not really sure if I not reading it right, but I'm kind of getting this vibe that, like, Ramus is like, aw, shucks, you know, I was just doing what Dumbledore told me to do, and I can't think for myself, I've been brainwashed, and yada yada, all this stuff, and I just feel like, I feel like she constantly underestimates my favorite characters, and overestimates my least favorite characters. Well, no, I mean, I want to play devil's advocate with you, with you as well. I mean, you would, you had mentioned, okay, if you, you know, your grandparents are people too, people have flaws. Dumbledore is not, you know, Saint Dumbledore. Dumbledore is a guy with real problems. Now Mm -hmm. I'm all for showing those flaws. I believe that, you know, I believe in truth, warts and all. And I think that's what you see in Deathly Hallows, Dumbledore. You see it. I love the way it's framed in Deathly Hallows, you know, in terms of, you know, here's two different newspaper articles on, on the same man. Tell us which one you think is true. It's probably the one closest. It's probably somewhere closer in the middle. He's not a saint. He's not, you know, the devil. He's, he's in the middle. He's a flawed guy. I mean, this Dumbledore is pragmatic. This Dumbledore is manipulative. He is someone who is thinking very long term he is someone who has contingencies upon contingencies upon contingencies like we were saying earlier that he you know in his status has you know taken control of members of the oars but if it were a situation where you had you know minister umbridge who was completely wrecking havoc within the wizarding world you would want you know good people on the inside to turn against her 
and we, we we shouldn't forget that this is Cornelius Fudge, who is, is a political hack, who is who is running things. So we, we should be grateful that the Aurors are doing this, even though we're making a point of it. So I guess what I'm saying is, how do you like my take on the Dumbledore is I like him. I, I I can see why she characterize him the way she did. I just think he's a bit extreme. I think he's too pragmatic at times. I think he's too rude at times. I think he's I think he's just more of a loud character. Like how what what, what is your reaction to that? I would probably agree with you. I would say he's too extreme. Just I mean basically I feel like you just said everything I said. That he's. I only think a little, though. I think a little bit. <laughs> he he bugs. Yeah, I mean, me. I think a little bit. He bugs. He, he bugs you. He irritates the crap out of me. Well, that's what I'm and saying. that's you... the difference between you and me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. You were going like, off of us. Little stage. things don't exactly. I mean, but you know, I'm not saying that the story isn't good because I disagree with the characterization. That's not my point at all. My point is. I feel this is one of those instances where I feel like we have a really good author who my expectations are so high for that when she lets me down, I almost feel personally betrayed. And so well, that's I'm, my feeling now with the two, fa- my two favorite, well, two of my favorite characters and the way that she characterizes. Well, I'm just really curious, like Chi, you said a while ago. This is the point where I give up on the story, this characterization of Dumbledore. And then you just said the complete opposite. So is it something that makes you this because of that characterization? Is that something where you just stop reading at that point or I have to get up and walk away? I have to get up and walk away and come back. Because I know, I know like in my, in, in my, characterization, my personal characterization of Remus, I know in canon, he's my most disappointing character. But And yet, he's one of my most favorite characters to read in fan fiction, because in fan fiction, they can bring him to life and make him a character that I can stand. Because in canon, I think he is like this runaway, um, hide behind his fears, never there. I mean, he he could have had a great life. He could have been there for Harry. He could have done all these things and yet he stayed in the background and could he me, really have been there for Harry like, though? I don't think, <laughs> think he about it though, in canon but in canon like I feel like he's like the most loser character and I don't think that her portrayal of Remus is that off from canon. I don't think it is too that's why I asked you about Remus. If you think about Remus in the canon, he takes off for thirteen years, he never makes no effort to contact Harry, he pops up in Harry's life when he's 13 years old, doesn't pop up again for the next year when Harry probably could have used him. And, you know, and as soon as he finds out that he has a family coming, he's going to leave his family and run off with Harry because he doesn't want to face things. And eventually he does face things and eventually it leads to his demise. But Remus is a weak character per the canon. And Well, yeah, you're talking to a loyal Remus fan, so everything that you're saying I'm going to have to disagree with. Because I feel like Okay, what what happens here, okay? We have a boy who has a disease that is so reviled that he thinks, he knows for certain he's never going to have employment. You know, he probably thinks that he's never going to find somebody who's ever going to love him. And when he's 11 years old, he gets on the Hogwarts Express, and what happens? He finds three of the best friends in the whole world, 
in his, in his, you know, so they, you know, have great times at Hogwarts, and then what happens? The rug comes from, uh, from underneath of his feet. His whole world is destroyed in one fell swoop. And I think that's the real tragedy of that night, of that, in Well, it is a tragedy. So many people's, so many people's lives are completely destroyed by losing just these two people. But that's what you makes know, his characters so much weaker than what we consider Harry. That's what makes Harry so great because all these bad well, things keep happening. Is, Harry, and Harry, Harry gets is, up and he goes on and Remus just licks his wounds for years. Honestly, who's useless. the more realistic character? Who's the more realistic character, Jennifer? But who's more, who do you want to read about? Well, that's the thing. I, like, I want to like, read about both. <laughs> I want well, to read about thing. the man I mean, that struggles and overcomes, and I want to read about the man that struggles for years and years and years and manages to claw himself out of the hole only to die, because I appreciate angst that way. <laughs> no, I mean, you can have a weak character who's also a well-written character. Let's get our terms right. I think Remus is a weak character. He's a weak person, but he is a very well-written and realistic character. I mean, um... Mike, you said you were just downloading, um, you were, you just had bought Firefly, right? Yes. How far into it have you gotten? Like, three episodes. Okay. There's an episode later on, um, that I won't spoil for you, but there's a scene where, uh, there's a firefight, which, if you've seen Firefly, that happens in every episode. <laughs> and you get to see, like, Firefly, the, the, the characters are, there's, there's, there's a priest, and there's, like, a young woman who's an engineer, and there's, um, the, you know the war veterans, and there's the, the there's the privateers, and there's you know the, the the doctor from a very prestigious hospital. You know who's who. If he picked up a gun, it would be like with you know two, with like his thumb and you know index finger holding it out, going ew, like he's not like he's not that that type of guy. And you see a firefight, and you see characters unexpectedly who you would think wouldn't know what they're doing charge forward. And you know, engage the enemy and protect people. And you see other characters who are very well armed, who are so afraid to fire their gun, they run and hide. And I see that as Remus. Remus could have acted at many points in the canon, but he didn't. And like, take a year like none other. He comes through the flu, and he he's very insistent. He wants to know why Harry's eye is is you know all bloody. But you know. He he doesn't push enough, and you know Dumbledore, my my boy, you need to do this, you need to do that, and he doesn't really push. He's not like a very he doesn't take Snape on. He he he's more of the can't we all just get along, guys? It's okay, I'm over it. Like and that's Snape, and that's Remus. I like him, but that's that's Remus. So I didn't have a problem with that characterization. I think I agree with Jen. It was weak, but I think it should have been weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it's hard reading. I'm sorry, Mike, go. I, was, yeah, I wasn't wild about the character of Lupin in the, in the fic, but it seems to be for entirely different reasons than everyone else, really. Like, um, I never thought of him in the real books as a, as a coward who was, like, you know, scared of the Dark Lord or scared of, uh, you know, I just assume, like, to me, realistically, how many friends of your parents, you know, like, I think of my close, my fr- my close friends, and if, you know, they had a kid and they passed away, I'm not necessarily going to take the kid in and start raising them and mentoring them as much as I like the parents. So to me, that part wasn't what struck me as unrealistic. What struck, what like weirds me out sometimes in the fic is that he seems so much more like lovey dovey than he does in the books. Like he, he didn't seem like kind of like a sappy, like feelings kind of character in the books to me. Whereas here it's kind of like this, like, you know, like 
almost he's a, a little character. too open here. Yeah. yeah. He's a little so. too open. He's a little too ingenuous. He's a little. I don't know. He's a little too naive. Exactly. That's because if it, if if Lupin is anything, he's a weak, bitter, suspicious person. <laughs> You know, he he can he can literally trust no one, and so I, I think that that kind of also maybe is what I feel like I have a distilled Ramus Lupin in this fic. I don't have the full robust character, and I think that's my complaint. He treats Harry like he's five years old. I think the yeah. whole thing, and he definitely does that in um, Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, Remus and Sirius kind of have the same disease where they get Harry and James mixed up in their minds. So, Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, with Dumbledore, I can see why he'd be written this way, and I can understand... I think I would more understand the writing after having read Deathly Hallows than I would have at the end of Order of the Phoenix, because I think his behavior in Order of the Phoenix is eminently justifiable, although... I don't know. There, there, there were points during, you know, just uh, I'll just close it. There were points during these chapters where it was too much. I had difficulty believing that Snape would call Dumbledore "you dothering old fool," and I just there were just some scenes that didn't seem like they would happen in in the canon to me. It just seemed like, and I'm not saying that this should be, you know, like something that could happen in canon. Obviously, you're going to take the story into different directions, but going back on it. You know, it's the, the characters should feel like the same characters. You can you can take them in new directions, but they should still feel like the same people. So, you know, I just can't picture. And I said this back on like episode one of the series. I just can't picture Snape, you know, being very disrespectful to Dumbledore in front of Harry. I just thought that that was a little that was a little pushing it. I have a question for you, Ryan. Yeah. Um, Going on what you just said, what did you think of the whole snake speech about James? Was that something? I was very, gl- I was very, very, very glad to see that you're talking about the scene in '74. Yeah. yeah, did you pick up on that? that I did. I, I, I very much did, and it was one of the. This is the. the those were the. If I had to describe my reading experience about these chapters, these chapters were ones where something would happen in the story, and I'd be like, oh, I don't like that. And then Aspen would pick up on it right away and have the character say, I don't like that. So it, it, it was much better to me because it wasn't just, you know, poor writing. It was great plot. It was, if it, as long as it's explained in the plot, it's not a plot hole. Yeah, you know. It wasn't Lord Clover Snape for you, or whatever it is. No, called. no, no. Uh, Ward Cleaver? <laughs> Ward Clover? <laughs> Ward Cleaver, I think is what I was... <laughs> like, I thought you said Lord Clover. I'm like, no. That's what I said, actually. You did say Lord Clover? Yeah. I said Lord Clover. Yeah, I was trying to think about it, and I'm like, um... I'm, I thought it was, like, you know, some ancient, you know... Like Middle Eastern reference, I have no idea. I'm like, I'm gonna pretend I'm smart and just go along with it. I wasn't picturing June Cleaver's husband. Okay, um, I think that when you go back, um, one of the things with the story when I started it was, you know, you have these preconceived. It's like you have the series Bible with you before you start reading it, so you know certain things. You know that Harry is best friends with Ron Hermione. You know that James. And Lily died to save Harry. And you know that the Marauders hated Snape. And the one thing that 
always occurred to me, and I think I mentioned it once before, is you wonder how how James would know. No, like if if Harry got the guilty gene from his father's side, if James could have ever come back as a ghost or if James could ever have, you know, survived for a brief period of time, he probably would have felt such tremendous guilt for not protecting his wife and son. And knowing one thing that just occurred to me is that knowing that he wasn't able to protect his family and that his son was raised by the Dursleys who abused him. And then, you know, if he was told somehow that then he was raised by Severus Snape, who, who James hated, you know, James would have had a terrible reaction to that without more information and to me now that i know that i can stand the pairing my thing is well you know who the thunk it who the thunk that you know the arch rival would be raising the kid and i always just i always saw that from snape's i'm sorry from james's perspective for some reason i don't know why just because he's the dad and now he you know he's calling someone else dad it's like for example i i know i'm like the pop reference guy on here but um danielle and i just bought uh the first season of picket fences on dvd have any of you guys ever watched picket fences it was a um nope uh i used to watch that show yeah who's the yeah who's the guy um ali mcbeal david kelly David I Kelly. Have, I don't a, know. David Kelly like produced a show. It was um if if you haven't seen it um go look it up on Amazon.com. It was called Picket Fences, and it was um basically um it was a small town in Wisconsin. Which Meg were here? It was a small town in Wisconsin during the 1990s, and you know the the main characters are the sheriff and the doctor and their three kids and you know the local lawyer and so forth. The medical examiner for the town is the main character. It's a weird story. In one episode, a, a cow gives birth to a human baby. It's a re- it's a really great. <laughs> character show and um part of the plot line is that you know the, the 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 sheriff and the town doctor are married together and they have two kids themselves and the sheriff from a previous marriage has a daughter who lives with them but they've been married you know he's he's been with his second wife since his daughter from the previous marriage has been four so the, the stepmom has raised the daughter and every once in a while you know lydia the crazy ex-wife will come on the show and see her daughter and she, they're, they're, the the way it works is, um, oh, I can't think of her name. Um, her last name is Coombs, Holly Marie Coombs. I want to say she's the actress from Charms, plays the daughter. And she says at one point that her birth mother is like her best friend, but her stepmother is like her mom. And the character who plays the birth mother, you know, doesn't get along with the stepmother, and they're out you know, having it out one day and she's like, how do you think it feels to me that I, you know, you know, conceived her and, you know, I, 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 you know, hell, I, I carried her for nine months. And I gave birth to her and I watched her grow up and she calls you mom. And that's what I always think of in the back of my mind when I, every time Harry calls Snape dad, like I, I've never had that. I've never had a stepfather. I don't know what that's like. And I know many of our listeners have, but that to me, I always, for some reason, always feel for, James. So when Harry start stopped calling James dad and started calling him James, to me that hit me. And I'm very glad that Snape brought that up. I'm very glad that Snape brought that up and said you can have more than one dad. Like th- to me that was a very important That was point. I love that moment. That's one of my favorite moments. Like it shows the maturity that Snape has too. And I really like that. That yeah, I mean and I was so I was so and that's the thing. We, you know, she was talking about how some people that we know have, you know, couldn't finish the story, just wasn't their thing, and they had very big difficulties with him calling someone else dad. I, I'm okay with that, but I wasn't okay with him calling James 
James. I couldn't yeah. have done that. That, yeah. would have, that would have really, and I, like obviously, like people you know who know me know this. My father died a few years ago. He'll always be my dad. I'm never going to call anyone else dad. I mean, I'm 26 years old. I mean, I'm <laughs> like I'm never going to have a new yeah. daddy. But that, but he'll always be my dad, and I'll always refer to him as that. I mean, you can't, and it's different. Like we were talking in a previous podcast. You know, I call my grandfather Henry and fathers Henry and John because I never met either of them because they both died before I was born, but. You know, in Harry, you know, for better or for worse, never met his father, but it's still his dad, and that's a person. Maybe that's a different, I don't know, but I was. Seems like glad. that would be a different relationship, and I would have to say that's probably the most um, redeeming moment in this set of chapters that we read. Um, yeah. But, you know, then again, I. You, you know, it's, I think that's fair. You're having problems with these chapters. I think that's fair. And. I think that, and I've said this just, you know, to, to everyone who guest hosts and hosts in the show, I, I like the people it can be honest in this. And I give enormous respect to the authors who, you know, listen every week. It's tough to have your work criticized. It's tough to hear criticism, you know, but all criticism should be constructive and it should be respectful because obviously, and we, we say that all the time, Aspen puts an enormous amount of her work or of her life into this work. And it's very well written. And it's a story that doesn't appeal to everybody, but it's very well written for those of you who, who do appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, there, you're going to have issues. Some people just can't see it and that's fine. But I think that there, there, there are certainly, even for those of you who don't appreciate, you know, the, 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 the storyline or just can't buy into it. You know, you, some, you know, some, some people can't understand Republicans, but I'm sure they have wonderful ideas. I mean, that's how I have to kind of look at it. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's like you, you can have <laughs> yeah. two. You can come. You can come to an agreement and just you can respect someone else and just say, you know what, I understand what you're saying. I just don't buy into it, and that's fine. So that's that's all. I feel the same way about Democrats, Ryan. Okay, well, there, <laughs> there you go, my little Kansas friend. Admitting that you have a problem is the first step towards a meaningful. <laughs> Actually, I'm I, I'm a conservative independent. There you go. Oh God. Brother's a libertarian now. Apparently, he told me yesterday. Your brother is a libertarian. Apparently, as of yesterday, he is. I'm a liberal libertarian. Go work out. On that. <laughs> oh, I'm That's not going there. <laughs> One thing I thought. Love- was- What's that? Sorry, I tell a story about my father since we're talking Go about dads. Yeah. <clears throat> my dad was explaining to me. My dad doesn't explain. He pontificates. So he was pontificating. I would like him. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, you guys actually would probably get along. Um. He was pontificating on the different political parties and why I was, you know, being irresponsible for having some slightly liberal tendencies. And uh, he uh, was explaining what a libertarian was, and he goes, he goes, libertarians would like to be able to sit naked on their front porch, smoking pot, and have nobody bother them. <laughs> and I was like, maybe the libertarians should pick that up as their slogan, because I think they would have some people that would go for that. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, on. libertarians is further to the right than the Republicans are, because to me, they bring into their whole philosophy is based on this sort of um, – American mystique about, you know, the West and the rugged individual. That's how I think of it. Well, I just want to say, we're not going to be a political show, but one thing just (laughs) for those, you know, this is, this is your, you know, election year update from Ryan, who has a degree in the damn thing. The, the, The thing with politics is that people confuse beliefs with political parties because you can be all over the map. You can be, you know, pro choice, 
but you can also be, you know, against the death penalty. You know, you, like, the thing with political parties is, it, it's like finding people who believe 42 distinct things. You can't do that. You might agree with 28 of the 42, and you might agree with five of them very strongly, but you might completely disagree on eight of them. I mean, the problem with political parties is that they, and the reason people get so frustrated with them is because a lot of the times they don't make sense, but to raise money, they have to really support opinions that don't make sense. If that makes yeah. sense, and that's the annoying thing. It's so you have you know, you have you know party you know the, the the Republican Party, which is for small government, except if they disagree with what you're saying, in which case they want the <laughs> government to get involved and stop you. So it's like the, like right. and, that, and the hypocrisy is what gets. And I have no idea how the hell we get started on this, but whatever. Well, that's well, a your thing, actually. That it, we disapprove of corruption in the Ministry of Magic, unless it's for the side of the light. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly where we started from. You know, we hate it when Fudge does it, but if Dumbledore does it, it's okay. Except Dumbledore in this story well, scares me a little bit, so maybe we don't want to be doing it. But um, I have. Why did we just start about talk about libertarians? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I'm like asked. sitting here going la la la. la. <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. Jen, Jen, rescue us! Pull us from with the quicksand in which we are stuck. Okay, I want to say Joe that Biden, two thousand. You know. I want to tell everyone, as much as people have an issue with Dumbledore or calling Snape dad, my biggest issue is I cannot imagine Snape eating a sandwich. I've never spit water out in my life before. You were all here to share that moment with <laughs> Are you okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean for that reaction. I just meant, like, it has at the end of chapter 73, Snape tells Harry, go make me a sandwich, go order me a sandwich. And, like, for the life of me, I cannot imagine what kind of sandwich a potions master would eat. Like, it's not dignified enough for him. He doesn't eat PB&J. Come on. You know? Maybe it's a cucumber sandwich, Jen. <laughs> Seriously, with tea or something. Honestly. Ryan, breathe. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm really sorry. I just had water go down the wrong way because I spit it out of my microphone. Right. <laughs> I, was, um, I really am sorry. I no, it was just like, I know you all are, you know, really concerned about, you know, potentially, you know, controversial characterization, but there's no way that man ate a sandwich. I, it's true. <laughs> Y'all didn't come across that line and go, huh? Um, you did. That's what I get hung up on. Wow. Well, Jen, obviously, you also get hung up on, you know, where's the bathroom? I and just want to know where Charlie and his towel is. Good gracious! Can I ask There's you not... a question that's been bothering <laughs> One me? One towel while. scene. I, what? I, I, this is something that's been bothering me for a while. Okay, so Draco and Harry's bedroom is Snape's old study, right? Mm-hmm. The, is there a bathroom in the room? Yeah, they yeah. say there is. Why is there yeah. a bathroom in the study? No, he shift, he, it says this in the beginning. He shifted yeah. a storage room using rock magic to give them a small bathroom. Uh, yeah. Okay. They Someone have a small bathroom with shower. Someone needs to read better. Okay. I guess shaving kits? I don't know. Shaving kits? They're boys. Okay, well, maybe they have a charm. I don't know. Oh, that would be nice. Have you ever seen Harry shave in any of the books? No, all we see is Draco singing in the shower. Well, he also never, you know, 
goes to the bathroom in seven years. He's like Jack Bauer. <laughs> Although Jack Bauer did go to the bathroom once, if you recall, but whatever. Um, he goes to the bathroom to make potions. That's what he does. Who's Jack Barrow? Bauer, 24. Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah, I don't watch that show. He went to the bathroom in one episode. If you blinked, you missed oh, it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, where the hell? Okay, where else are we going? I'll say something if you go, like. Okay. Go for it. To get back to the um, Potter Snape relationship, mm-hmm. I was I, I compare how Snape's able to forgive James Potter to his problems with Lupin. I think that is one theme is that mm. part of part of his problems with Lupin stems from Lupin abandoning Harry uh, way back on uh, is it Sawing, whatever you want to call it. But I think, too, mixed up with that is it's easier for him to forgive James Potter because James Potter's not around to challenge him for Harry. And I honestly think that his problems with Lupin are much deeper than just Lupin abandoning Harry to go get ice cream. I think he has this jealousy thing. I think a lot of what he felt for James has been transferred to Lupin as the only surviving uh, marauder left. Why do you think he forgave James? I think he forgave James because... He needs to forgive James in order for Harry to love him. Like, I think his, you know, if he didn't forgive James, it would kind of be like his motivation from the storytelling point is to uh, get back at James by making Harry love him more than, you know, than he loves James. And if you want to avoid that. it would that, be a competition. Did he say yeah, he exactly. did that originally? He does say that. He says originally he was, yeah, I think it says in 74, he originally wanted, um, you know, to. To almost show James. No, I'm sorry. When he originally came to before the storyline, um, like in order, he originally tried to make Harry hate James as a way of getting back at James. Mm. Yes. Which you know does that's that's human. That to me that's seems very awful. We have we talked about um, the mirror or the um, the burning of the pendant. Oh yeah. Oh, the pendant. We didn't or, get to the. Um, Jen, why don't you introduce it? Well, um, I really thought it was an interesting concept because I remember at Christmas, I thought that it was just one of those cheap, metallic, bling-bling type of necklaces where... You know what I mean? Like Draco one of those... would not wear a bling-bling <laughs> necklace, Jennifer. <laughs> Do you know, though... And I remember, like, being surprised that it actually had a power because he had been so sh- shrug shrugful is that a word of the um that it that it was silver, you know, like, yeah. and it just made me think of in the Wizarding World, it's just one of those cheap, like, like a mood ring, you know, like one of those things that are just. Now, what was the deal with turquoise at the time? Turquoise should like it's work. a protection. It's for protect. Like it warns you against. Evil, but I because Shackleball right? says turquoise shouldn't have done that. R- right, oh, like it's just I don't remember that part, but I'm sure it was supposed to warm up. Make it up. Yeah, it was supposed to like warm up. But he didn't think that it would like burn a hole through his chest. Well, and before we go on, can I just say how great I thought that that scene was? That when a when Draco um. When Snape actually goes to get him and Harry's watching, that when he's unconscious, like it was so caring <laughs> and so like I was waiting for Snape to do the find him and slap him and then hug him thing, you know, yeah. Yeah. and that didn't happen. And I was just like, 
you know, you don't realize it's serious. You don't realize it's serious. And then finally he comes back and you go, oh, crap, this is so much worse than I imagined. And what? I'm sorry for interrupting. I just, like, I have my email thing open up. And if I get personal messages, they pop up. And I just got two in a row that says, this is from Melinda. Holy crap, Batman. Have you seen the news on Leaky? Biggest revelation, Dumbledore was gay. Then I have one under it from Wayne. Ryan, in case you haven't heard from Tina or Chi or Melinda yet, JKR revealed tonight that Dumbledore is gay. I'm getting mail bombed about Dumbledore, and I just thought that was amusing. I apologize for interrupting. Do we know he was gay, or was he just bisexual, maybe? Dumbledore no, was he's gay. he's definitely gay. And, ne- and Neville married Hannah Abbott. Hannah Abbott. Really? We know that? Yeah, that How do you know that? Because Wayne just AK told me. I just, I'm getting emails from everybody telling me. In case okay, after the podcast tonight, go to the Leaky Cauldron. and it's the first, it's the headliner there. You guys all disappointed me so much because you all told me that apparently Harry can't speak parcel tongue anymore if the book said and I was just devastated when I heard that. Oh, you didn't remember that? Well, they don't say that in the books. Apparently, they say it somewhere else, like outside of the books on one of these sites or it's something. It's in the interview. It's in an interview J.K. Rowling did post. Yeah. I, I think it's the Meredith Barrera interview, I want to say. I think, possibly. I don't know. I'm wrong about that. Somebody will correct me. <laughs> they usually do. They usually jump right on it. Can you imagine Tina's there right now? Could you imagine if Tina asked the question, was Dumbledore gay? <laughs> that would be hilarious. I but I, I'm serious though. If you didn't see it in Coming in Half Blood Prince when he's wearing the purple suit with the purple hat, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to make it any more obvious for you, to be quite honest. And the Grindelwald Dumbledore vibes were pretty strong there in Deathly Hallows. Uh, I'm, says, I'm just imagining two old guys. That's icky. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that image. Sorry. <laughs> But, I mean, one of them's dead. Oh. <laughs> uh, thank God there's no man. Thank God there's no such thing as male preg there. Oh. Ew. Ew. This certainly Ugh. shoots down all those illegitimate daughter of Albus Dumbledore. Or all the secrets. Minerva. All the Albus Minerva. Yeah. Sadness. Albus Slughorn. Yeah. I'm going to pretend that he's still in love with Minerva. I liked that storyline better. Melinda's really Slughorn. Melinda wrote that. Slughorn? What about Slughorn? I'm saying that this is the new match. Uh, Dumbledore and Slughorn. Oh, God. <laughs> that Slytherin's going to no. go through the roof. Make no. It'll be Snape and Albus now or something. BSDM or any of that. <laughs> Ew. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. So I was gonna say with the amulet. One thing I kind of like with that is how quickly Draco just kind of forgives Harry for that. And I think of most of the stories I've read where Draco's been a good guy. One of the big things, and this story too, to an extent, I think, is his vanity. How much you know his looks have mattered to him, and he's kind of like picky with his clothing and all that kind of stuff. And so I think. You talk about examples of uh, Draco caring for Harry. I think that's one example how he has this giant scar on his chest that they're not going to heal, and he kind of just forgives Harry like that, one, two, three. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's really important and curious, although I'm not really sure why it's important yet, um, <laughs> that it burned a hole in his chest. Like, it makes you think if it, all it was supposed to do was heat up, 
how long does something have to be hot against your skin for it to burn you? And then how? Hotter? Is it like my speaking alarm as clock? somebody who works in a deli? Not very long. <laughs> you well, I mean, even if it's like a semi, like even if it's just a bit warmer than your temp- finger temperature or whatever, if you press, like, do, do you eventually get like second degree, third degree burns? Like, is it a prolonged thing? Do, do you just lose? I don't know how how that works. Or do you think it, it's supposed to just momentary fly, like fly up and fly? Like burn if something is hot enough, if something is hot enough, you can get a second or third degree burn pretty instantaneously. It doesn't take prolonged contact. To really, well, what yeah. I'm wondering That's what I'm is, saying. do if we it know? Does it keep getting, but does it keep getting hotter? Like my alarm clock in the morning keeps getting louder the longer I let it go. Is it getting? Does hotter? it really? Oh, oh, that's cool. Oh, I almost threw it through the window one day. But like, does <laughs> it keep getting hotter against the skin, and it just it, it just singes his entire chest without? Well, my, well, I don't know about that, but my thing is, even if it's not, like, if it, if it just flares up and then goes back down, or if it flares up and then just keeps burning, like, how long was Draco, I mean, is time a different, do we think that he was just up there for a second, or do you think he was there longer than we think, because it burned such a hole in his chest? Are you giving me a hint there, or is that you just guessing, do you not know? That's just me asking. Well, I'm not. I can't say either way. I'm just asking. That's a really good about point. a theory. That's a very good point because so I don't know. Harry in the eye. Do you know what I mean? Because now, because we know that a day and a half has passed. Do you think when time passed for Harry, that time passed for Draco at the same time, like they're bonded somehow? Oh, I didn't think about that. I guess not. I don't How think time bond- did pass. I don't know. Maybe because the amulet somehow connected them. Do you think some time passed, like time longer than he thought? Could be, if it burned him that severely. I mean, something was weird there. I mean, let's look at what we know. We know Draco's up in the tower, and we know that, well, Draco somehow gets to the Owlry with Pansy. And they're, they were in a closet, no, they were in a closet making out. Were they in a closet in the Owlry? That's a good point. So, I mean, are there, do they have closets? So they're in a closet making out, and then all of a sudden, they're being, he was attacked first, but then he references the fact that Pansy got knocked out too. And who could see who attacked you? Pansy. So he got knocked out first, but he also knew that Pansy got knocked out, which would have happened second. So that doesn't really make sense. He doesn't to me. know that. He assumes that. All right. Yeah, he all assumes right. that. He doesn't. Okay, so he gets knocked out. They're in a closet. I'm assuming they were in the Owlry, or else Draco would have been like, how the hell did I get up in the Owlry? Because <laughs> that would have been a good plot point. So I'm assuming they... So why Draco would go to the Owlry after Harry told him you will die if you go to the Owlry makes me think Draco, not the smartest kid in the world. He would not pass He would not pass the MCAS in Massachusetts. So <laughs> so Draco... Okay, so that happens, and, and, and Pansy goes you know, over the wall and then you know blows up like a small water balloon. And then Draco puts himself under the invisibility cloak and goes down the stairs. Now, Aspen describes him as going very, um, you know, serenely, almost gliding down the stairs. Then later it's described that Draco, then, but then I believe it backtracks, and then she says that Draco was kind of moving like he was injured. Does anyone remember that? Yes. He was moving like he was hurt. And- but but did she describe him when they're watching? Remember, Ron was stomping up the stairs. He was watching on the on the Marauders map. Didn't he describe Draco as moving almost like floating down the stairs, like very serenely? 
Maps lying. I didn't know floating. Oh. I thought they did notice something about his walking. I can't. Like it was off. It was odd. Something was odd. Okay, because then I wondered after the fact was he being carried by someone? Hmm. But then they would have been seen. Um, well, here's the question: too. Why do we assume that the map stopped? You know, when do we know when the map stopped and started lying? You know, for all we know, right. we know the map lied because we know from I guess the truth serum he didn't throw Pansy off the roof. So. If that's the case, then Good when did the map start lying versus... Or maybe it wasn't lying. Like, maybe it wasn't lying, though. What if we're just interpreting it wrong? That's possible, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very clear that, you know, they were up against the up against the wall, and Harry thought they were watching the sunset or whatever, and then Pansy kind of was, like, dangling over the wall, and then she dropped... I don't know. The whole thing with her death is really icky, but it makes me think like she obviously was not con. I mean, the knockout thing makes sense because when her accidental magic save her, wouldn't magic save yeah. her? Not if she's unconscious. Well, you would think so. I mean, Dumbledore. Died I mean, why not? Tower, so, <laughs> well, that's true. I don't know. I mean, you know. Maybe because she's unconscious and she's not seeing herself falling. Like, like I think maybe like the, like the well, it's uh, accidental, but you're still reacting to something. So she's knocked out. You know, she but can't. Dumbledore, I'm sorry, Dumbledore had the Avada Kedavra though. Yeah. So he was dead when he went over. Like he was dead, or he would have died right when he went over. Something. It wasn't just fault. Like if he was dead, he, his magic wouldn't save him. But hers should have. Like, I wonder what. I don't know. That's or she curious. was filled with. Maybe she was dead. Getting back to the water. I mean, she was. Maybe she was dead before they threw her off the. Uh, really? This is this have, is like one of those things that that you get the end. You get like there's a straw and like a naked man. Like, how did he die? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and you have to ask questions and like figure it out, and like it ends up him being in like a hot air balloon, and like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, well, I mean, we know she's she's filled with water, and to me, that once that happens to you, you're dead, aren't you? Or maybe it was just her eighty percent. I don't know. Well, no, wasn't she like like I took it like you know her water levels were increasing as she went over, kind of like the girl from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, I didn't think this was like you know she. I took it that she was alive going over, and then she exploded on popping. Or died just, on popping. Well, something must have prevented her, though, from using her magic. And what about... Did she not have her wand? And why were the protection spells... Like, isn't it in canon that you can't jump off things? Well, no, that was in the story that you can't jump off. But I don't I don't believe the wards are ever once mentioned in canon. I, I truly believe that's just a... a is she, that just a fanfiction? She, 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 do you do you remember? I think that there are words mentioned in regards to Grimmauld Place, um, and also in uh, relation to Number Four Privet Drive. But we aren't given much more information on them. Hmm. See, I can never keep it straight. Yeah, yeah, because well, that, that I was just asking. A we ridiculous, just can't ask. I mean, I mean, I can't remember. I mean, we're given we're given information that there are words. Okay. But we aren't, we aren't A, they work, or... Like, I can't remember you know, if it's fanfiction or not. Or... 
Well, in the story, it stated that. Well, in the story, it stated that Draco must have lowered the wards around the Owlry, or someone. Yeah, did. Or someone and assuming did. he knew how. And then like, Draco ends up outside Hagrid's hut with 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 the invisibility cloak draped over him in a coma. I mean, how? Who isn't it? Kind of specific of who can raise and lower wards of a certain location. I mean, can anybody do it? Could any of the students do it? Like I know that with no, Snape, you shouldn't be able to do it. I mean, I know that's what I'm saying. Like, how would how would why, Draco do it? Why am I thinking Dumbledore did it now? Which doesn't make sense to me, except that. But he it's really curious. Him. No, the like, reason I'm thinking Dumbledore is Dumbledore can be invisible. He could have put Draco under the invisibility cloak and carry them down. Hence, he seemed like he's floating. Unless I'm forgetting the floating, and that's just my own interpretation of what happened. Why would he leave him on the grounds? I'm would trying to find that spot so we can know exactly what the wording is. Because I'm, I'm really curious now. <laughs> please, hold, please hold, everybody. Please hold. I have a question, actually, while we hold. What's that? When uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember in book uh, four, if you're polyjuiced and you die polyjuiced, do you stay in that form? I'm thinking of uh, Crouch Jr. when his mother polyjuiced into him and then she dies in prison. If you die in polyjuiced, do you just stay in that form? I think you come back because I think the deal in prison was that the Dementors could the Dementors not see. Dementors carried her out. Yeah, see, okay. yeah, and the Dementors couldn't tell what you look like. They can just feel the um, like the sadness or the emotional content ah. of who you are. So there goes that clever theory. Yeah, Draco abruptly finished what he was needing. To do, what he finished what whatever needed doing in the hourly. He stopped again, moving, heading across the expanse of the room, and then creeping down the stairs. He moved slowly, as though aware that he could be heard if not seen. Yeah, that. That's it. Where's that? That sixty-seven. Uh, yeah. Harry leans over, appearing uh, a Ravenclaw, a couple of Hufflepuffs, and then the names Ron Weasley, Hermione, Granger trailing up the Owlery stairs. To Harry's hor- horror, the two Gryffindors actually stopped right alongside Draco as though they could smell him, but then they moved on <laughs> upwards towards the Owlery, where Harry had said that Draco would be... How could the dot look so angry? But Ron's did. It was moving in a jerky manner as though Ron were pounding up the stairs, and Hermione's wasn't much better. Draco's dot, in contrast, seemed calm and collected, moving slowly but surely. Mm. Okay, well, maybe we invented it. <laughs> well, I think it's hilarious as you guys seem as confused as me, and you know how it ends. I know. Well, there's, I mean, it doesn't. I'm faking. There's a lot of text between now and the ending. Let's just there put it is, that way. There's a lot that happens between now and then, and I want to talk. I know that we talked a little bit about the mirror. But I think the mirror is very important. Let's do it. The mirror where he can see, like, what's going on. Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Well, I call it the big screen the, TV. The broken mirror. I oh, see. It's a picture frame, though, isn't it? Not a mirror, I thought. He you know, puts I... the mirror in the picture frame. Or, oh, okay. And it becomes a big screen. <laughs> TV with 1080i with, with uh, surround sound <laughs> and um, high definition. Yes. Man, I want one of those. Okay. Um. No, uh, I think it's very important that we recognize that he can manipulate the mirror to do what he wants. Like, th- now this made me think when I was reading this, if he can do this just by saying it in parcel tongue, what are his limits now that he can do? If he can convince anything, I mean, technically his power equals Voldemort's now. 
Well, it's like he wants to use his wand on the Marauder's map, and Snape is afraid he'll end up inside the Marauder's map and never <laughs> make it out. I mean, that's like a freaking episode that of That is Family. so creepy. Yeah, there was an episode of Family Matters like that. I mean, we're getting into some serious Steve Urkel stuff here. I mean, this is like, <laughs> we're really going over the line. Oh, here, right? I was thinking the Twilight Zone, and oh, you go no, to Oh, no, I'm going to Urkel. I'm going directly <laughs> to Urkel. But it's like, I mean, like, yeah, he has severe powers here. I mean, he, he can really push the envelope, push the envelope, push the envelope. And I like the fact that, you know, it's not written really from a perspective of we need to fear Harry or Snape is very concerned. He just, he wants to trust Harry and wants Harry to restrict, you know, what he's, what he does. And what's mm-hmm. the, what's the, um, he does use his wand later on. I forget what he does. Snape tells him it's alright to use his wand. Do you remember what he does? It's when he puts the ring in his finger, Lily's ring. And that's a great scene, too, when he has the ring that's from Lily and from Snape, and it's the two people who really loved him. And I was a little irked by that because James wasn't in there, and I think that led into the scene where he talked about James. So so I was happy with the the flow of it, but that was, like, the last thing that set me off before Aston addressed it. Definitely. So I, I, I... I liked I liked the trust scene just as equally I think where Harry finally tells Snape um you go I will stay and Snape's like really and he's like yes and like like I'll pre- I appreciate your trust and like Harry's cringing and I just thought oh I wish that you know when you screw up with your parent I know as a kid like the second time my mother was nowhere as forgiving and she was like, yeah, I can't trust you. You screwed up big time last time. And part of losing that trust is that I don't trust you this time. No, you, you know, like she know. would really rub it in. I know you and blew like, up my house, but I do forgive you because there was that <laughs> oh, one time I held you down when I you were just, being tortured. So, you know. I just tore the linoleum because I was rearranging the house because I thought it would be a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. that wasn't a good one. And <laughs> yeah, so then I couldn't be left home alone anymore because even though I promised I wouldn't move the furniture they couldn't trust that I wouldn't move the furniture. But anyway, <laughs> the, my point is <laughs> that I one. like, like, Snape is the dad that I think that I would want in my fictional life. That in your he, fictional you know, life. carries. Well, okay, you know, so if he existed and you didn't have parents, you would want him. Well, if, you know, there was a real magical world and I was, yeah, my parents were dead and, like, a serial killer was out to get me, he is the parent I would want. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> If I, I wasn't, you know, his love interest. <laughs> Hold on. So I would like my parent, too, if I lived in a fictional world and my mother was dead. So what you're saying is if you, <laughs> Thank ha- you if your parents were gruesomely murdered and you lived in a world where magic it was real, as well as, you know, elves and... Well, yeah, if I was, like, as screwed up as Harry, absolutely I would, would want... You would want him to be your fate. parent unless you were going to have sex with him, in which case you wouldn't want him to be your parent. <laughs> Basically, yes. Is that bad? No. For okay, you, good. For you, that's actually, um, that's kind of mundane. Not surprising. That's mundane. Yes. Thank you, dear. Can I ask a question that's been, I, this is the one thing actually that bothers me about this story. What's that? This whole thing, where is the Dark Lord? Like, what is he doing for this whole year so far? Do we have any idea what he's actually like? Like, I know, like, in the other ones, you have, um, in the real year six, you have disappearances going, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what what is the Dark Lord actually doing? The same Wall thing he Wall was Wall doing in Half-Blood Prince. If you just assume it's the same when they just don't hear about it? Well, he didn't do anything in Half-Blood Prince either, so that was kind of... Um, wasn't he doing disappearances, though? Wasn't it like, um... Well, yeah, like but well, in fairness, maker? we don't... We're, this is Harry's perspective. We're not being told everything. Like, there was the mention of there was the, um... There, there, there was the, um... 
dark mark over Parliament. Mm, and, you know, we, you have Remus going around France um, warning people that the Dark Lord was attacking, which means the, the Dark Lord's dark attacking Lord. France. So he, he is active, and I think that you get the sense that he's conducting raid upon raid upon raid for a purpose of terror. Never mind, you are correct. I changed my opinion. I am just like we are working well tonight, man. Because I, I think we're we're getting we're making each other stronger. I'm feeling a real kinship. Here. I'm not just saying that because it's me and usually the desperate housewives. So I'm feeling pretty. Good. So, but um, yeah. I mean, Chen's like I love this togetherness. Together. Actually, I was thinking like how hilarious like this one line that I thought was really funny, but in a really like typical my life way is when, like, the Gryffindors, like, Harry tries to get into his common room, and they change the password in his honor, but they didn't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, that is so typical of things that happened to me. We knew you were moving home, and we wanted to impress you, so we bought a bigger house, but we forgot to tell you where you live now. Sorry. Right, and your house is empty, and you <laughs> cried for three hours. Oh, dang it. I knew we forgot something. Yeah, it's one of those moments. I have a question. Should I read into the fact that the um, portrait hole did not close on its own? What port? The, the mirrored portrait? No, the portrait hole. When Snape walks Harry back into the Gryffindor Tower, the portrait does not close. And Dean has to walk over and manually close it. Not to my knowledge. I don't I don't know. Mike, do you remember anything? I mean, nothing so far, but nothing that pops to my mind anyway, but maybe it comes up later at some point. Okay. Yeah. I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything where it's relevant, to be quite honest with you. Okay. Here's, a, here's another thing. Does anyone else feel a little bad for Draco that he's going to be all he goes through this whole trauma and then Harry moves out and Snape's going to be going to teach classes and Draco's going to be like kind of all alone down there again? I don't want Harry to move out at this point. I don't want him to go back to school. Like I want the I family to like deal he, with their angst. It's like a four minute walk though, isn't it? Like he's literally in the same building. He's going to be going to classes. Like, I feel the like you building? know like. Is like fourteen thousand acres long. Like, that's true. <laughs> Come on. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, I'm sure they'll write. <laughs> I wonder what the push was. Was that there, a sheep noise? What was that? The cheetahs made. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, he'll either have to write, or he'll have. To... Well, no, he won't write. I mean, Snape is in the Great Hall every day, and I can't like. I... He'll have the capabilities of going home. I mean, how cool would it be if... Well, actually, I almost just said how cool would it be if you lived in a place where you work. But I think I'd want to kill myself, so maybe that was yeah. the best idea I ever came up with in the world. Um, then again, like, all of my teachers, it seemed like they lived at school. <laughs> maybe I just had really good teachers, but I would have had teachers that were there at 6 o'clock in the morning and didn't leave until 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night, so... It's like he I lives on campus. Where I... He lives on campus. Do you really? Yeah, because I my job is uh, I run a residence hall on the college campus and the, from a part of my pay is they give me an apartment on the ground floor. Oh. And so then people who know, it's really bad when people know that I live here, like they see me walking to my door and I'll get these these people knocking on my door in the middle of the weekend, like asking me stupid questions they should know the answer to themselves. That must get um, annoying. Yeah, I don't answer them. I know what that's like. You should be like Snape and put an alarm system on there that like will shoot people if they try right. to walk in. Well, I think we've covered a lot of these chapters. Is there anything yeah. else that we haven't touched on that we'll probably get to in the next episode? Or are we... I mean, we, I think 
we discussed the main things, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more in there. There's the fact that, you Obviously. know, that, that, you know, Draco, you know, touched, you know, Pansy in her secret special no-no place. <laughs> um, that, that was, I thought, a good moment. Um, you know, yes. He- Assume a gentleman never talks. Well, he was under yeah. truth potion, so he had to. I like the characterization of Tonks. I like the fact that Tonks wasn't, you know, like, like, granted, she was, you know, like, she was popping gum and everything, and she was very, um, you know, she was very, like, what do 1952 think? poodle skirt girlish, but she was also very snarky, which I thought was a very good fit for her character. What, what do you think about the character, um... I mean, the idea of them giving Draco Veritas serum, and what do y'all think about um, his reactions to realize, like say, saying everything? Do you know what I mean? I was concerned you- about it because I I was confused, and I don't know if because I was reading it quickly because I you know I ran out of time and the podcast was coming out, or I don't know if it was simply um, you know. The writing was confusing. I was under the impression going into that scene that the cover story was that Harry never left, that Draco never left the dungeon and that they were going to, you know, go with the excuse of, you know, they, they didn't hear the doorbell because, you know, they were, they were in the, in the lab or whatever. And, you know, that, 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 the, the, um, amulet had hurt Draco as a result of, um, you know, just, you know, because he was wearing it and it just burned him because, because Pansy was apparently in danger. So I thought that he needed to say that he never left. So I didn't know how that was going to work. And I'm like, why are they walking into that? So I, was that just me? Did you guys catch that, that they were going to tell Tom? They are. My impression was what it was is that they had to hear from him, like Tonks and Kingsley had to hear the truth from him, and then they were going to doctor the reports. But did you? Show. But did you know that going into it, when he was about to start answering questions, did you get the fact that that he was going to tell them that he had left? Yeah. Okay. I, I was really concerned that the secret would be out. Well, I re- I've reread it, so actually, it's hard for me to remember the first time through what I felt. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so that was um that was the thing that kind of that you know what maybe that was my fault. Maybe it was simply because I hadn't read Well it's not a fault. Out. It's written well, no, in a very suspicious well, was, way. Like yeah. a suspenseful I meant. Sus- I'm sorry. A suspenseful yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no problem. But that was that was the thing that, you know, had had jumped out at me. But I did like the characterization of of, of Kingsley, I like the characterization of Tonks. I thought that was great. We've talked about, you know, Dumbledore, you know, the, you know, the Tony Soprano of his age there. I mean, there, there were lots of little pieces in these chapters that I really liked. And even when I don't, you know, love the characterization, like in the case of, um, in the case of Dumbledore, you know, I can at least know where she was coming from. And, you know, she, she's done a lot firmer ground than she was then. Now that Deathly Hallows has come out, definitely. Um, I, I was a big fan of it all around. Um, I was very glad that she put in certain scenes. Like I've said before, I was very glad that she put in the scene between Snape and Harry about James. I was very glad that Draco did not love Harry with his heart, mind, and soul. That was very concerning for me. Um, I'm not quite sure about asking the trio to lie for him. I know why he did it, and it makes perfect sense in the plot, and it's great writing. I just don't personally like the story going into the you need to lie for me phase because that just seems I don't know I, I just I per, that's not my personal preference but I can understand why that's in there um, that's all I got what about you guys 
I I like. I think we talked about all the parts that I really wanted to talk about. I think I liked the the end where he goes off to Gryffindor. I like that Snape comes in and has a dad moment, and you know, and that even though like I like the last line, he was happy. He was. He really was. But for all of that. Harry Potter missed his family already. Like you, re- like he's back, and, but things aren't okay yet. You know, and I am at yeah. this point. We're really worried about Draco, and I, I just like I like the turn of events. I like how she took the characters from somewhere, and then she made like she made this turn into like a Draco story here, mm-hmm. where it wasn't all about Harry. And yet, at the same time, our focus was on Draco. Well, I so felt the that, little yeah. Th- yeah, I felt that all well, along, too. I even was saying, you know, like, I saw Draco as the hero, yeah. Well, the thing is, what I really like about this, and I think it's important in her writing, is our focus is on Draco. But things are happening with Harry that are very important. And right. because our, our because our focus is on Draco, we, we're missing, you know, we, but I think we talked about him and that we, we recognize the importance of certain events that... I remember my first time reading, my focus was completely on Draco. And so later on, when I was reading, things were very, very surprising. I'd go, oh, you know, because she she misdirects so well. And I like how that she puts the important things. Like you said, they're right in front of you, and yet you gloss over them because they're not going, hey, I'm shiny at that moment. <laughs> yeah. So I just, yeah. love, I just love it when you say, hey, that's I just love it when you say, hey, it's shiny. I'm sorry. That was me. Okay. <laughs> I know. And I hate saying it because I think in 10th grade, I got the, hey, is that, hey, that's shiny award or something. I know in 12th grade, I got the, you mean E.T.'s not real award? Oh, but um, <laughs> they, I know. It's, so this isn't something like, I guess, of just the most gullible. Anyway, it's not good. But. Anyway, I, I'm happy with our discussion. I thought we really stayed on topic this time, and it was very in-depth. And I really have <laughs> – this is like the longest we've recorded. I think it might be – well, actually, we cut the verse hour, so we've only gone for three hours and four. Well, that's minutes. true. I just mean like this is usually when we were, are done. So I think we've really – I'm happy with this discussion. I am too. Uh, Mike and then G or G and then Mike or whatever. Um. Well, I didn't compare it to you, but I'm happy with this discussion also. <laughs> I'm so happy you were able to join us. I'm very glad I got to join you guys, too. I had a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. We hope I hope so. I really enjoyed having you on. You need to come back. Anytime. I enjoyed it so much. Day or night, I'm here. <laughs> oh, good God. You'll get used to that. You'll, you'll lose that pretty fast. Awesome. You're definitely welcome back. That's She's waiting until we're like, hey, can you Skype with us at 1030 at night? We only need you for a couple hours. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fine. A couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. You're not doing anything, right? And we, and we need you there now. Is that okay? <laughs> oh. Oh, All the time I give the book Oh, Good thing I love it. Okay. Uh, it was a good discussion. Uh, probably the most on-topic discussion we've had this whole series. And I hope... Uh, Aspen's happy with the level of commentary, and I hope our, our more um, talk about the story, damn it, listeners are <laughs> more satisfied with the podcast. And um, I, I think it was a good discussion. I think it was very intelligent. So, uh, yeah, good. All right, peaches and cream. I think it's time we're all going to go to bed. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Bye.
Hi, this is Rain. I edited this episode. One issue that came up but was never fully answered was the existence of words in canon. While I know of no instance where they are actually referred to as words, there is a passage in chapter 27 of Half-Blood Prince that clearly shows their existence. As they flew over the dark Tristan Lane, down which they had walked earlier, Harry heard, over the whistling of the night air in his ears, Dumbledore muttering in some strange language again. He thought he understood why, as he felt his room shudder when they flew over the boundary wall into the grounds. Dumbledore was undoing the enchantments he himself had set around the castle so they could enter at speed. Hi, this is Omri, and I'm fairly new to the Puffball Forums. Um, But I had a comment on Chapter 65 that I thought I would throw in there. When Draco is talking about his umpty-umpt uncle, um, Walpurgis, or however you say his name, um, he talks about how this the charm where he identifies a squib um, hours after birth is highly complicated and very illegal. The highly complicated part, I don't doubt, but the fact that it would be very illegal um, sort of made me laugh because I was like, why do they? Why would they, that be such a big deal? Why would that be any impetus to um, anyone who was really concerned about blood purity? So I just thought it interesting that he brought that up as a um, reason that this was such an awful thing. Anyway, I hope to hear from you soon. I love the show. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is June, a.k.a. Rihanna and May on the forums. And I just wanted to pop in and say that I love this podcast. And I love all of you guys, especially Jen's stories. And I just like to say that this podcast always makes my day. Thanks. Bye. Hey, everybody, this is Jules from the Forum, and I have a comment on episode 30 about um, Hermione calling wizarding protective silvers, whatever it's called. Um, in in this case, I understand that, in you know, in this case that Hermione was, was being protective and, and trying to help Harry, but in this case, I really found myself sympathizing with Snape and Harry, and um, personally... I know how scary it is to have CPS called on you, even if it's something that um, that you know that they shouldn't have called you called on you for. And it's um, it's terrifying to think that your children might be taken away from you. And so, really, I found myself getting really angry at Hermione because she didn't, even though she didn't know, I guess, because it was just so um real to me because it's something that has happened to me and so I've really found myself sympathizing with Snape and Harry. Anyway, I like love the story. 